Alright, welcome everybody to the Spooky Newfie Podcast, episode 25. I'm your host, Scott Whitten, and joining me as always is my old friend and co-host, John Fitz. Hey everybody. We are a bi-weekly horror movie podcast. For each episode, we select and discuss two films from specific subcategories of horror, which are chosen at random from spinning our very own Wheel of Horror. So last episode, John landed on the category found footage and has chosen grave encounters for us to discuss, while I landed on a psychological pick and have chosen Mother. Exclamation point. Or mother! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mother! So, it, uh, before we kind of get things rolling here, listeners, um, I just kind of want to say this off the top because I don't really know, honest to God, how many of you stick around to listen to the actual spinning of the wheel at the end of the, <laughs> end of the episodes. I don't know if you guys just kind of drop off when we're done talking about the movies. I think some people just tune in for the wheel, I would, I would say. Yeah, that's the only reason they listen, isn't it? So as most of our viewers. What will I talk about next? Um, so, yeah, so we just kind of wanted to kind of set the table here and let you guys know uh, future plans for the podcast here. So we're reaching the year mark as of next episode, episode 26, which is going to be our official end of season one. And like I said, coming to our year anniversary. And I guess unfortunately we can say is that we've come to the decision where it's a rough decision, but there's a number of different life factors coming into play and stuff. And it seems appropriate around the Halloween season where... We decided, since we're finishing the first season, to kind of step away from the podcast for a little bit um, and just put it on hiatus. I mean, it doesn't mean anything definitive in terms of, like, you know, we're shutting it down completely or anything, but uh, we thought it was the best time probably to step away from it again for separate personal reasons and stuff and kind of come back to this when we feel it's, you know, more more appropriate. We want to be able to have full focus for you guys and dedicated listeners who have been following us for, you know, months on end now. So... Yeah, I just kind of want to get that out of the way first, and we'll fill in a little more detail at the end of this episode, too, about like what we'll do for the next episode, which again will be, I guess, the season finale or whatever. And yeah, so just, I guess, a bit more encouragement to stick around till the end of the episode. So, on that note, John, uh, it is the spooky season. We are officially in October here now, the uh, best time of the year. Uh, have you been uh, watching anything, sir, since uh, we've been putting on our watch list or anything, or what? Yes, a really busy time for me, and I'd say my, um, you know, my, my viewing of horror movies will really kind of um, get going in, uh, you know, over the next couple of weeks. So, you know, for our uh, next episode before we go on hiatus, I'll probably have a, a bunch more that I've watched. But there is one notable one that I did uh, get a chance to see. This is one that you recommended to me recently. You had mentioned it to me before, and I was uh, had heard of it and. Uh, was aware of it, and I watched this one, uh, as you know, in a couple of different, um, I guess, a couple of different sittings, uh, and the reason that I had to watch it in a couple of different sittings, honestly, was because I found it a very, very tough watch, and I honestly needed to, uh, I wasn't even sure I was going to finish it, but you, uh, you know, kind of said, no, finish it, uh, it's, it's worth watching, it's one that, you know, as a horror movie fan, uh, it's good to get off your, your, your bucket list, so to speak, so... Anyway, the movie is Martyrs, which uh, many of you may be familiar with. This is the, um, I guess, the movie that this Scott has talked about before. comes out of the French uh, extremist movement, I think it's referred to. And, uh, boy, it is, um, yeah, I'd say it's maybe the most disturbing movie I've ever seen. Um, perhaps, you know, it, it, it certainly, I only just finished it, I uh, was saying to, to Scott, uh, today. <laughs> I started watching it last weekend. and so wounds are it. fresh. Yeah, so I mean, it's still very fresh in my mind, but uh, boy, it um, it is something else. Like I mean, without to give too much away, basically, it um, 
deals with, um, uh, I'll say, the subject of torture and uh, dealing with uh, the after effects of it, uh, as well as other very fascinating philosophical ideas around, uh, I guess, the limits of pain and um, what that does to a person uh, by undergoing kind of deep trauma, basically. But, um, man, oh, man, like, I, I, there are so many moments, I think, that are going to uh, stick with me uh, for a long time after watching it. Yeah, because I can remember um, John was mentioning to me off air throughout the past week or so that he's like, yeah, so Scott, I've decided to give this a try. <laughs> give, yeah. it, give it a shot and see where I can kind of go with it and stuff. And um, John left off at a certain point. I remember when he was giving me the heads up on how much he had left. And it was kind of, I think, right before it kicked into the third act. And you were like, uh, yeah, it's again, like, I don't really want to say anything. Cause it's, a, it's a perfect example of a movie where it's like, is shocking and as hard to absorb and experience as it is, the less you know about this movie, the without a doubt, the bigger punch this is going to fucking land yes. to the gut. Yes. Because even if you have a broad idea of, like, what it is you're getting into and the subject matter and, like, the approach of, like, the quote-unquote, like, torture, porn aspects of it type of thing, like, if you don't know the narrative of how it plays out going to the third act, like, it just... It's like one, like I said to John, it's like it's like one gut punch after the next. And it is, with it's... it's the most relentless movie I think I've ever yes. experienced is probably the best way yes. to put it. Because it's not even long. It's only like fucking, I don't know, maybe an hour and a half or something. Yeah. But I mean, it, it just starts right out the jump. Like, there's no lulls in this movie. No. And like, one aspect I was trying to explain to you too, because I knew you knew the like the high-level idea of like what happened and the different events in it. But like, the scares of the first act I didn't expect mm -hmm. with like you said clearly playing on like the trauma aspect of dealing with this so, like, right. coming out of it as a child and stuff right I didn't expect that I remember my first viewing just kind of knowing like the just having like the notoriety going into it, like what it's about I didn't expect that angle in the first half so that's what kind of sets you up for the shocking turn that kind of happens near the end of it sure yeah I mean something I mean that really stuck with me as well is I mean like the movie has a lot to say thematically and it's shocking and disturbing but Another um, part of the movie that I thought was, was really brilliant was how it manages to really toy with your sympathies towards yeah. different characters. Like, without giving too much away, um, you know, basically, you, you see terrible things happen to people, uh, and then you feel sympathetic to them because they, on the surface, seem innocent, but then you find out later that they're not, for example, and... This movie has this really fucked up way of almost humanizing people that are clearly uh, very evil and do terrible things. But you find yourself having this weird, semi, I don't want to say sympathetic, but like almost understandable um, perspective you have around them and their motivations. And yeah. you walk away from it almost like questioning your own judgment or yeah. something. It's very, it's a very, it was a very, very... Um, challenging watch at yeah. levels. Yeah, right? and it's like you said, it's like, besides just physically what happens in the movie, like, another big thing is just mentally what it shows to, like, mm. how... To, it's just as hard to watch someone get broken down physically as it is mentally in this. Yeah. Which is what they toy with a lot in certain, like, throughout the movie, especially near the end of it. And it's, again, like John's saying, it's kind of playing with the idea of just, like, 
pushing a human being to their breaking point, essentially, and just yes. kind of like again without getting any away like what the res- end result of that is supposed mm. to be and another biggest thing is like what John's saying especially when you go into this movie blind not even with a high level understanding of what you're getting into not knowing the narrative like it plays with you like exactly what John's saying you feeling sympathy towards human beings going through something that happens but then you're later given the context of why something happened yeah and then you literally have are forced to backtrack on your initial thoughts and emotions and be like oh wait well should I feel this way? Should I feel that way? Like, yeah. I did feel this way initially, but then all of a sudden, once you paint the picture a certain way, it's like, now I kind of, not so much understand, but you get why certain events happen, and you're kind of sh- felt bad for feeling a certain way. Absolutely. And, and even further than that, you see people do horrific things, and then uh, you get this, um, get these, these moments where they explain their motivations for doing the horrific things, and, and you can't help but feel almost weirdly fascinated by what they're talking about and it causes you to not agree by any means but you kind of come to a greater understanding of why they did it yeah and it, it and that almost makes you and somehow understand it more which which i almost don't want to do because yeah. you've seen them do such horrific things you know, it's almost like you don't want to develop any kind of a relationship with them you know and, like, and, it's, and it's not the exact same thing but it's almost like the idea of blaming a soldier for doing horrific acts during a war where obviously they can overstep their boundaries and take advantage of a certain situation and do more horrific things than are necessary or whatever put there but like who are you supposed to be specifically mad at in this situation the soldier or like the reasoning exactly. causes to why they've been brought there to do it is kind of the context i get yep. but it's like it's not war is what i'm saying it's for another reason but like it's kind of again just playing with the aspects of like how you're supposed to view certain people for doing things they're doing not again like Jonathan not just in like any way shape or form the stuff that's happening but it plays it could be put it this way if you put this movie in someone with a less subtle well I wouldn't say subtle fuck with a more like I don't know high level I wouldn't kind of a studio approach this could be such a fucking schlocky bullshit excuse for like blood and guts and gore and just to kind of get people tickle pink kind of like hostile and stuff like yeah, that that's right but if you suffer through with what you're supposed to do with these characters i mean it's all part of it. you're supposed to go through what these characters are dealing with that's for right. you to feel a certain way it, there is an artistry to it sure. it's disgusting and hard as this watch it's an incredibly well-made movie is what i'll say and what i'll say is there's almost you almost have this weird similarity between the abuse that the victims have to put with have to uh, go through there's almost a similarity between their abuse and your experience of going through the movie I, I almost found myself coming to this strangely greater appreciation for having seen the movie and almost a greater appreciation of certain ideas uh, having gone through and seen the movie which you know kind of ironically is what the we'll call them bad guys in the movie, are trying to achieve with their victims. They're trying to get them to this kind of greater level of consciousness, consciousness basically. Yeah. So it's, 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 it is something else. If you want to see, um, if you really want to just get the uh, socks blown off your, uh, your feet and watch a movie that is going to leave a deep uh, imprint on your consciousness and just see some really disturbing stuff if that's what you're into yeah then martyrs um is is the one to watch i watched the uh the one with subtitles um but i'm glad i did I, yeah i'm, I'm kind of jealous actually because yeah. the last time i saw it 
I uh, I had trouble finding any version with subtitles. It was all the dubbed versions, and yeah. it does take away the first half of the movie because it's again like I but any day of the week take subtitles over a dub movie yeah. it just completely takes me out of it and I get distracted at times yeah it's kind of hard to find but it is out there so if you dig around enough online um, you, you can you can find it yeah and it's you know trigger warnings I mean it is not an easy watch by any means I, I do not exaggerate at all when I say it's probably one of the hardest watches if not the hardest watch I've ever sat through but I mean it's worth it for the sake of like it's not cheap exploitation is what I'm trying to say there really is something to be trying to be said here and there's a cause for all of this <laughs> violence and intensity. Like, it, it's there for a reason. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, you can go in viewing it if you're really into that kind of disturbing shit and just take it, the, the imagery for what it is and the shockingness of it all if that's what you're into. But, again, if you really want to kind of peel away what's kind of um, actually going on <laughs> and stuff, like, there's, uh, yeah, there's, there's really something, there's a core to this. And it's rare to see that in very intense movies like this because you don't it's hard to play that balancing act because i mean you're either doing one or the other it's one of the sounds mm, right sure, and this is sure. this is the of all the french extreme movies that i've seen this is the one that to me is the pinnacle of them all in terms of not even just shockingness and like the oh my gosh and like the taboo nature but like it trying to say something and i think that's sure. what's worthwhile of going for it rather than just saying it's fucked up and freaky and stuff right yeah yeah so okay well that's an intense one for you under your belt uh, yeah sure so what about yourself is there anything you've you watched yeah, um, so I started on a few things um, on the watch list we posted or whatever, but I want to yeah. say first off the top, right, again, without giving too much away, I watched in a few days span, uh, a couple of weeks ago, that one Midnight Mass that came out on Netflix, the new Mike Flanagan joint. Um, I'm personally a big fan of Mike Flanagan. I like the way his career has progressed. I mean, he's gone a lot of peaks and valleys. There's some work of his that are kind of meh, but I feel like, as a filmmaker, this he's one of the more interesting ones because like he has such a high volume compared to some, a lot of the horror auteurs and stuff like that are, are out in our generation. But I feel like Flanagan kind of falls through the cracks. Like when we talk sure. about like the Robert Eggers and like the Jordan Peels and stuff, and like I find we don't really give him the credit he deserves because I mean he's been a steady, steady yeah. filmmaker for the past ten years, and he's got a good volume of workout. Like, and in saying that, there like there's ebbs and flows. There's no real duds like there's no real ones where he makes it i'm like i fucking hated that no. like I, I either i'm like it was okay or it was enjoyable or it was just like really worth watching yeah and uh yeah so like either way without getting all the movies and stuff like that like i was a big fan of the hill house series and stuff um yeah. i was more of a fan of the first season than the second because flanagan ha actually had a ton more to do with the second season i think he was distracted on the second season when he was doing dr strange but anyways this and also um absolutely huge fan of oculus yeah oculus. absolutely love that movie that movie is one honestly i regret uh, having not watched yep. on this uh go around with the podcast but a uh, great film and I another random one too like early on like he made the sequel to ouija ouija origins or whatever the fuck it's called and i absolutely despise the first one and it's so rare where obviously like a sequel is better than the first it's like that's interesting but it's so fucking interesting to see someone take a trash original movie and then just take the sequel and just put it on another level i thought the second ouija was like just as fucking creepy as oculus in terms of like the scares and that's it might sneak by right because it's just like again like the first one was just really shitty and just very cookie cutter blockbuster kind of spook little jump scare factory but the second one like he just knocked out of the park with i don't know how he picked it up but anyways 
Yeah, he he's got a really good relationship with Netflix and stuff because he's he's done things like early on, like he made the movie Hush, which was a Netflix movie, mm. or it was picked up and distributed by Netflix. He made Gerald's Game, which is also a Netflix movie, and again he got this deal deal with Hill House and stuff. So he's got a really good thing going on, and um, I I really dig the the approach he's taking, bopping between films and miniseries like this. I love that approach from directors, mm. and I mean these are heavy projects that he's taking. Yeah. He, he's putting them out in a, in a good click, which I really like. So, anyways, coming to Midnight Mass. I had to say, I'm still a, Flan a Flanagan of Flanagan. Um, I, I, I dig it, man. I, I really like the direction this guy's going. I like, the, the again, I like the fact that he's taking the miniseries approach, and he didn't bite off more than he can chew on this. This isn't like a 12-episode kind of haul. It's only seven episodes. I think each, now, they're a little longer than usual. I think each episode's at least like an hour long. But it's not a slog to get through. It, it, it really doesn't overstay its welcome in terms of the story it's telling. There's a couple of amazing performances in it. The guy, I don't even, never seen him in anything before, but the guy who plays the main priest in it is fucking incredible. Like, he knocks it out of the park. He, he just, he, he plays the role exactly as he should be. It's such an unbelievably, surprisingly complex character mm -hmm. in terms of, like, what he's battling in it and like how we come to find out who he is and why he's doing certain things and that like he just nails it and very you i just and a very unique looking person so i'm surprised i don't recognize him from anything but he's amazing in it and there's also a side role of like this kind of religious fanatic kind of typical role in this movie as well and I, i've never seen her in anything either i think she was in one of the hill houses as a side character yeah. and like i don't watch Grey's anatomy but my wife recognized her from that and yeah, she was fucking amazing too, man. Like, so it's so rewarding to see some of these things where you got to sit with these characters for a while, and it's not at all just fucking you know standard, uh, forgettable performances type of things. Sure. When you got a couple of strong ones to hold, like hang your hat on, it really makes it worthwhile. And yeah, it just again another fucking another movie or series where it's like I don't want to say too much because I didn't really know anything going into this. I had an idea of where it took place. The shtick of clearly the over-encompassing theme of religion that's going to be based around the movie or the series and stuff, but I had no idea it was going to go where it went, and I, I loved it for that. So when I talk about it with people and recommend it, I just I want to kind of tell them as little as possible because the yeah. surprise really like it's not a tw it's twist, but it just it, it plays out a way I didn't expect it to. Is the sure. best way to say it, and I, I really dig it. I mean, it had a good spooks in it. It's a little the problem with Flanagan overall. I find though is when he takes. He really does it. He's kind of like the Stephen King of filmmaking, where the, the the big picture's great, so characters are great. I love the narrative itself, but like he really like needs to trim the fat in some areas. Like for instance, when like when Stephen King writes a book, it's five hundred pages. Maybe it could have been three fifty. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like this, this was great, and I find he's getting into a little trope of himself, a little cliche of the way he does things, where he has a tendency where every single key character in the top ten has to have some meaningful monologue for you mm, to kind of get right. to know them and their past and where they're currently sitting. And it's like, so he really gives respect to the actors, which I dig. Mm. But, like, at the end of the day, it's like he needs to know where to trim that down a bit sometimes. Because so, sometimes they nail these monologues, and they're perfect, and they're fucking per really good. But then the other 50%, you're like, oh, my God, it was like three minutes of just, like, eye-rolly, like, mm. emotional like, baggage and blah, blah, blah. So, like... That's one thing I'm finding he's getting a little too caught up with, and I hope he steps back from it a bit. But there, if anyone's watching, who's listening, will know what I'm talking about in terms of the heftiness of that. And uh, I don't know the third, the final act I would say of the series, which is like our last two episodes, dragged a little here and there in terms of like getting to the point. But 
overall, those are nitpicky things. I highly suggest, especially spooky season, you guys want a series and stuff to pick up, without a doubt, give Black, uh, what's it called? Midnight Mass. Midnight Mass. Give Midnight Mass a shot. It was, it was really good. I gotta say, really worth a watch. Um, otherwise, I don't really want to dwell too much. We kind of like had a good chat there about those yeah. uh, initial murders and stuff. The only other thing I'll give a little shout-out for, I watched last night. Uh, the, did you ever see the hour-long thing on Shudder? It's called Host. It's like the Zoom fucking seance. Oh, yeah, I have seen that. Yeah, that was on Crave as well for okay. in Canada. Yeah, I, I, did, I did watch that. Yeah, I snuck, yeah. snuck that in last night because it was just like an hour long, and that's a good little effective fucking spooky little pandemic movie. Pretty, inve- <laughs> pretty inventive. Yeah, yeah. Say, you know? And I mean, considering like the circumstances the movie was made and stuff, I mean, it's just, just straight up respect to the filmmaker. Like, I mean, they really pulled it off without... It's like it get, I'm so happy they didn't turn it into an hour and a half, and they just kept it at the hour. It was like a really, really good like uh, I don't know Black Mirror episode almost or something. You yep, know what I mean? Exactly. And yeah, just just really good in that sense. That's another good little suggestion too, if anyone's looking for a random spook the holiday season. Uh, but that's it though. I don't really want to get into anything else. I didn't know if you wanted to talk about it. It doesn't sound like you do. No, I'm good to go. All right, well, let's get into the main attraction then. So first up on the docket this evening, we have Mother. From 2017, directed and written by <clears throat> Darren Aronofsky, uh, with a cast of lead characters, I guess you could say, Jennifer Lawrence as mother, Javier Bardem as him, and I'm going to set a preface here and we'll come back to this, but I'm going to say Ed Harris as Adam, and I'm going to say mm. Michelle Pfeiffer as Eve. And hot take. Hot take. <laughs> um, so, quick synopsis for this film, if you can make one. Um, a young woman spends her days renovating the Victorian mansion that she lives in with her husband in the countryside. A stranger knocks on the door one night. He becomes an unexpected guest in their home. Later, later his wife and two children also arrive to make themselves welcome. Terror soon strikes when the belligerent wife tries to figure out why her husband is so seemingly friendly and accommodating to everyone but her. I mean, that is just, like, what? <laughs> it's like, I guess that's kind of what happens. They call her belligerent in that? Uh... Yeah, they call her belligerent. Yeah, I don't know if that necessarily fits, but anyway. Like, yeah. Scott, you've been perfect with the synopsis <laughs> up to now. You <laughs> fucked it up with this one. Way yeah, to go. go. Fuck everything up. God damn it, Scott. Yeah, no. that's no, it. No, but it's fine. Well, I think that, that I think good as, enough. I'm sure as anyone who's, A, listened or seen the movie who's listening right now, and B, um, hasn't seen or just listening to us talk about it, like, you'll come to understand why that is kind of meaningless. Once yeah, kind of the movie kind of defies, like, a, a neat summary, to be honest Yeah, with or, or, a, like, a straightforward narrative mm, by any sure. means, right? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I chose this one, and that's psychological, and, yeah, I guess this one really fits the bill. In terms of, like, I think psychological is probably a bit of a stretch. I mean, obviously, like, when I picked it, I'm focusing clearly on what Jennifer Lawrence's character, quote-unquote, is going through in the experience, and just, like, how the horrors of the movie, especially in the first, like, two-thirds, is mental to me. It's kind of, like, a bad dream experience, sure. as what, what I'll kind of get into as we start talking about it, like, why I find it actually terrifying. <laughs> it plays with my anxieties, but... Yeah, yeah, this was one I've seen twice now before this most recent watch. So, I mean, yeah, it's a strange one. I'm an enormous fan of Darren Aronofsky. We'll talk about him in a second, too, once we go over the high-level stuff. And, yeah, this movie is one of the most divided movies I can possibly Mm. think of in the last probably 20 years in terms of just fanfare. I don't think I've met anyone in the middle with this movie. It's either they either fucking hate it, they think it's an abomination to filmmaking, and it's disgusting, and it just has no right to be called entertainment. Or B, it's a brilliant, 
triumph and it's brave and it's you know trying new things and treading new waters and it's you know yeah something they've never seen before so it is an insanely divided movie i'm on the latter end of it <laughs> i guess as to why i probably picked this and i'll explain myself as we probably go through but uh yeah that's kind of where i stand with it right now and obviously there's no point in getting into the nooks and crannies yet which we will in a second but uh john what did you? What do you use your background with this thing? Yeah, like I remember when it came out. Uh, whenever when, when it was a few years ago. Uh, yeah, what was it? Twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. Yeah, and uh, yeah, like I remember, this was in the midst of when I was kind of really getting into horror movies, and uh, I remember it having a very divided response. I mean, like critics were divided. I remember checking out Rotten Tomatoes. Audience scores were particularly high. So it was kind of like okay, noted. Like maybe something I'll check out uh, at a later time. You know, when it comes to streaming or something, and um, eventually made its way to Netflix. I probably saw it for the first time a couple years ago, something like that. It's uh, been on streaming platforms for a while, for I feel like. But anyway, I checked it out. Gonna be honest, first time I saw it, um, really didn't know what to make of it. Like it was, it's a pretty. Uh, I'm gonna say it's a very dense movie. Like this yeah. is a movie that really. Uh, requires a lot of thought and a lot of contemplation, I think, to... A lot of focus. A lot of focus to really kind of appreciate it. And, um, honestly, the, fir the first view, and I really didn't know what to make of it. So, you know, in some ways, I might be... You, you say that, you know, there's no one in the middle, but I guess there's almost a separate category of just, like, kind of like, hmm, I almost feel like I can't properly well, assess it. You know what I mean? I, I haven't seen it. I, I feel like I need to sort of digest it more. Um, and so I kind of... Watched it and was like, oh, that was interesting. And then uh, watched it again for this podcast and uh, feel like I have uh, quite a bit to say about it now. I feel like I've, I've gotten a lot more out of it on the second yeah. viewing and, and, and appreciated it much more, I think. And that's a really good point. Like, if this was my first fucking watch, I'd be like, oh, Jesus. Like, like <laughs> what am I kind of getting into here now? Yeah. But, I mean, this is my third time sitting through this. So... I also had the fortune of, like, before my first watch, because there was so much being talked about it, and because I appreciate Darren Aronofsky as a filmmaker so much, like, I didn't go in looking to kind of spoil the movie, but at least I wanted to know, like, what is all the hubba-blue about? Like, is it, like, is everyone freaked out over violence? Like, what is everyone worked up over? Yeah. So at least the one thing I got as a heads-up before I went to watch it is, like, go in with a surrealistic approach go in like you're watching like a moving painting almost sure. and like you know because i was given that heads up before experiencing it like you said the denseness for what it is and had that kind of mind frame on for, for instance like when i'm going to watch a david lynch movie i know when i watch a david lynch movie i'm not getting a fucking disney picture where there's in like a b c and like oh everything there's a climax at the fucking third act and then we get a resolution like i know when i watch his movies because of mm -hmm. who he is what i'm getting into how i should sit down and interpret it and how i should absorb and like you know put a, put the pieces together myself this is an instance where aronofsky has never jumped full throttle like this before so given that heads up helped me kind of digest it to this right. point and i think i've got a good enough notion of like how to kind of like what's going on what's being said yeah i'm a very very broad high level theme and then also there's tons of layers sub themes and like stories you can also go that's right. off on right that's right so like let's talk about darian aronofsky as a filmmaker itself because i don't want to bypass him because i i just think he's one of the better filmmakers out now today and sure. I mean, he's one of the handful of directors where no matter what he's coming out with i get excited about it yeah and i put him up there you know with a lot of the other ones like paul thomas anderson's 
you know, even to some extent, the Wes Andersons and stuff like that. You know, and the point is, like, I get excited for it and I get buzzed when he comes out with stuff. So, you know, like, going back to initially, I remember even, honestly, the first, it's, it's weird. The first movie i ever seen is Pie, which is the first movie he Me ever... too, actually. Yeah. I saw that movie when I was uh, a teenager, I guess. I think my older brother had heard this is a great film. I sat down, watched. I was fascinated by it uh, yep. at the time. I probably didn't fully appreciate it, but I remember oh, that being young age. Man, it sounded pretty young. You yeah, know, it's, yeah. And, it, and it's such an experimental art house kind of black and white movie. I mean, it doesn't hold its punches either. Pie doesn't, right? Yeah. And it's an aggressive movie, from what I remember. It's been years since I've seen it, but I was the same way, man. I remember watching that on VHS, renting that from Blockbuster. It's been that long, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, then after that, he had Requiem for a Dream, which mm-hmm. most people hold to an insanely high regard, mm-hmm. and could also be categorized, honestly, as like a Jason horror, in my opinion. I think by the fucking third act of that movie, I think everyone can agree, it gets quite fucking horrific. Sure, <laughs> yes, sense. absolutely, sure. And then obviously, he has more, like, again, like, that's the interesting thing is him as a filmmaker. He rides that line of, like, provocateur but at the same time being a mainstream studio production filmmaker. Yeah, he's very he has uh, quite a bit of range as a yeah. filmmaker, for sure. And, and that's the thing. He rides that line where studios are looking for some of these guys, like a Paul Thomas Anderson is another perfect example, sure. where it's like he fits both molds. And like so when a studio finds someone like that, where like I'm not saying he's Stanley Kubrick, I'm just saying like they fit that certain mold where studios want to, they want to back this person, and yeah. they want to have them in their back pocket, and they want to fucking like go through their yeah. career with them, right? Type you of can thing. win an Oscar, but also make a lot of money. Yeah, from blockbusters, you know. And that is a rarity, right? I mean, especially like as you can see with this movie, this is a fucking bomb. Like, I mean, it's a big risk to, to yeah. make a movie like this, right? Especially like when he was at the peak. This is when he was at peak fame, type of shtick, right? Coming off the wrestler and then black swan which is this oscar darling and stuff yep. right but i mean still at those sense like he never sell i wouldn't say sell out but he never like waves even when he goes in that route it's like even when he's trying to fit the more mainstream model he still does it in such a respectable like fucking intense way like mm-hmm. i don't even have a bad thing really to say about either wrestler or black swan honestly right oh my god i adore those movies so much i mean i remember uh you know the wrestler in particular i mean oh man what an impact that had i mean the way that that just depicted that culture. We've talked with the rest of before. I yeah, mean, I think bond, you were right. Case. Somehow that came up at some. <laughs> it's, it's like a, I, I forget sometimes when I was like, oh, I watched this. Like, fuck, did I already bring that up at some point? Yeah, but the, man, like something about that movie, especially being somebody like somebody that watched wrestling growing up, but the way it just depicted the downfall of this guy who uh, existed in this in this world and the kind of uh, kind of humiliating new life that he has to kind of subscribe to was, uh, you know, it was left such a big impact. Black Swan, oh my god, like, what what a fantastic, just, like, noir kind of a, kind of a film, and the way in which, like, it's the performances in that, Natalie Portman as well, just a shout-out to her. Yep. Mila Kunis. And even Mila Kunis in it, man, like, it put her on the next level for me in terms of taking her, like, just showing her range of, like, mm-hmm. what she can do as an actress, and not just be, like, a silly little rom-com type of actress they like she is fantastic in her own right and like the thing i always loved about black swan is like it's such a sad depiction of like how much work you can put into being the best of the best but like practice doesn't make everything like you always got to have that natural x factor which is like what kunez had even though she didn't take it as seriously as natalie portman you got to like had that best of both worlds type of thing. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the the potential destructive nature of pushing yourself to the limits yep. in the pursuit of... Perfection. Perfection, exactly right. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, so I mean, like that—that's Aronofsky's career overall. I mean, those are like—I mean, it's not again—it's not a huge catalog. He's got like Noah, which I don't really have any interest. I I've talk, seen that actually. I've seen it once, and it's very kind of underwhelming to me because, first of all, is like I've kind of noted before, like I'm not. Which, again, is ironically enough which what we were fucking about to get into with this movie, I think. Um, I'm not much for, like, biblical tales no. at face value for, like, literally just telling us what you are. And, like, when you're taking, like, the gritty approach of, like, I'm going to show Noah for the real person he was. And, like, and it just, I don't know, just didn't really do it for me, to be honest with you. It was kind of a, a dud in terms of, like, expectations not getting to where it needed to be. I mean, it had Russell Crowe in it. Had another good supporting cast, bit of a good supporting cast from I remember, and he was again coming off Black Swan, so I was expecting the world of it, didn't get it, so, and now we have this, yeah. <laughs> this, this fucking movie. So uh, yeah, I mean, kind of similar to what I was just saying before we kind of got into the meat of this here now. I think the best way to do this movie here now is similar to some other ones we've done where. I mean, as you guys have listened to us in the past, like, we'll kind of just run through the movie semi-chronological and we'll hit on, like, a lot of the, the points and meanings of things as we set through, like, what happens in the movie. But I think the best thing to do here now, some of, I think we did it for, like, Donnie Darko and a couple other ones, where let's just, like, rip the Band-Aid off now and just say, like, I'm going to say what I think mm -hmm. is happening here, who is what, what I think really happens here at the end. And then I'll pass it to you, and then from there we'll just start fucking bouncing around. Because I yeah. think there, there, there's no point in really kind of just saying what happens here beat by beat, because it's just it's not nearly as interesting to just talk about what I think is being said here. Yeah, it's a more important thing. So, okay, so my my outlook on this movie is that obviously I think without fucking beating anyone over the head with it is that uh, Jennifer Lawrence is supposed to represent Mother Nature. I think Javier Bardem, her husband, is supposed to represent God. And I think the movie itself is supposed to represent the seven days of creation in terms of, like, you know, God creating the earth and all this bullshit and, like, the cycles we go through. And if, if anything, past that, because it comes into modern day of where we are now and, like, basically the impending doom of what we're going to experience. So as the movie goes on, we have the house represents planet Earth. And we basically have this happy couple living in there, living in this purity almost, and this excitement of creation, this idea of fixing up this plant, this house, or quote-unquote planet Earth, and making it the best for what they want it to be. Mm -hmm. And then we end up getting impending on them unannounced, without Mother being told anything about it. We have God bringing in these two humans, other beings, into the house, which are just called man and woman. And it can very easily be interpreted that this is Adam and Eve. This is the two first creations of God for human life. Especially in one scene where it's pretty obvious as well, where we see Adam having a, like a wounded rib at one point. Yeah, which sure. clearly is supposed to represent the rib that he sacrifices to God, which allows him to create Eve. Because then we see the next day Eve show up, right? So anyways, we go through, between going through the jigs and the reels of it all, there's tons of things I'm going to skip over here on the high level. We see there's children show up then after the fact, which are, in my opinion, supposed to represent Cain and Abel, who immediately get into a fight and argument, and they're very disdainful and distasteful of God itself, especially the Cain character, which is not named, but it's clearly what's supposed to represent, because he ends up murdering his brother, Abel, like in biblical terms. Then after this, we see... Uh, Cain disappear and essentially get casted out of the house, which is supposed to be what had happened once he like defied God's needs and right. to murder, right? So, mm -hmm. as the movie moves on, either way, more and more people start showing up. They become much more disruptive around the house and stuff. And from the way, uh, the way it's all being experienced is that again, mother 
or Jennifer Lawrence's character from Nature, is basically in a situation where she has no control over what's going on except trying to maintain her house or the planet Earth. She has no say or notion of what these humans coming in and disrupting her and her husband's life are going through. So this is just humans coming to the planet and basically taking advantage and exploiting nature for sure. what it is and what they want to do with it, right? As unapologetic yeah. as they are. The movie, I feel, comes full circle near the end where we'll get into the third act and a lot of the stuff that happens, but I feel the end of the movie is basically supposed to represent the impending apocalypse that's being brought on by ourselves and our own selfishness and our greed sure. as humanity. And a lot of... Now, we'll, I'm glossing over a lot here. Sure. But we'll get into why I think it got to this point. And I think what happens then at the end, once the apocalypse occurs, and we'll explain how that happens, we see a, basically a recycle of everything. And we're in a situation where God basically just wants to start from scratch again and see what happens, right, from the go. Because the movie ends the same way it starts, is the best way to kind of put it. So... That's my very, very, very high-level interpretation of like what's mm -hmm. happening, just if you want to put a narrative on what the fuck this is, but I have glossed over a ton of important things and like imagery and like actual fucking more deep meaning to what I'm saying, but that's like the crux of, I think, what's happening here, right? Does yeah. that make sense? Oh, yeah, no, 100%. I think you nailed it, and I think that, I mean, based on, like I, like I said to you off-air, I mean, I need, need a little bit of help with this one. I did do a little bit of reading around, and honestly, that interpretation... I think is shared by a lot of different yeah. critics. The kind of the um, environmental and biblical kind of allegorical nature yeah. of the movie, and that's kind of the thing. That's why it's hard. Once I got halfway through what I was saying there, it's like I it's, I don't look at it like like it's like if you're trying to put a bow on it, that's what I think it is. But yeah. there's so much. It's it's not important to just say the point A to Z and how the movie finishes. It's like. I gloss over a ton of important things that are not even religion-based. There's tons of themes yep. and things that are happening, and so much symbolism in this movie. Sure, yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, a couple things, I think you definitely hit on what are the, is, is basically the, the main crux of the, of the film, and I'm pretty sure Aronofsky himself has discussed that, that, exactly that interpretation uh, that you describe in interviews. Uh, but some other stuff that I think that the movie is getting at. I mean, I think it has something to has something to say about fame yep. and um, creativity. And I think that you know, a bit of a maybe a statement on just creative types in general. Be it because uh, Javier Bardem's character is a poet, and he is someone that is just kind of lauded and you know has this uh, all this real fixation and need to be lauded and to be celebrated by others, um, very much at the expense of. His relationship, his home, his well-being, his wife and his wife's well-being. Um, but all of these things that should be more important to him are kind of put on the wayside so that he can feel supported and feel loved. Which I think says something maybe about the system that exists in Hollywood and how it kind of is built on this need that creative types, actors, etc. have for being celebrated and being yep. loved, you know? I mean, really, you think about it, I mean, Hollywood is an enormous cult of personality in many ways, you know, like the way in which, you know, I mean, I'm sure many people that get into acting and that get into creative work are doing it probably for uh, the, the admiration. I mean, like, and I'm sure this is probably something that even just your average person can relate to. I mean, yes, you do things that you like because you get some enjoyment and fulfillment out of the things on themselves, but I think everybody knows 
the feeling of recognition and yep. the feeling of you know being appreciated for the things that you um, that you create that you think are good. And I think that you know for a lot of people that are that are in Hollywood and that are creative types, uh, this need is probably you know only only heightened. I think Hollywood helps to kind of perpetuate this. So I think there's something to be said about that. And also, and, and uh, yeah. I, it's but it's such a good point, and that's why it's so difficult to put a pin on this movie, like because I, I I don't think my interpret like what I'm saying like at the beginning, like I don't think that's the end all be all no. like, ending narrative. I think that's kind of like what you're getting into now is like you can literally read this movie on a number of different ways, and you can experience like if you watch it again and you're like I'm gonna choose to take that perspective to look at it, you yeah. can experience the movie completely different depending on like if you want to take that route because if you were to go that area, then yeah. you're kind of in the you know you're looking at mother's angle as probably like the disposability in terms of like your mate in terms of those things yeah, and like sure. what they have to go through and like how jennifer lawrence's character is never listened to she's never taken right. seriously she's pushed aside because the artist is the more is the more important thing and right? i'm just going to pick up on that on, on that detail there about how jennifer lawrence's character is pushed aside i also think that this movie definitely has something to say from a gender standpoint specifically yeah. the way in which you know Historically, generation generation after generation, uh, you know, women are taken advantage of, exploited, beaten, uh, disrespected, uh, their bodies disrespected, um, underappreciated, underappreciated really, right? by really humanity at large. Yep. Uh, and I think that you know, I think there's supposed to be a, a comparison made there by you know, with the environment, nature itself, with uh, femininity, and these are you know, um, you know, common, uh, similarities in women and femininity is often, uh, you know, associated with, uh, with, with nature. And I think that, you know, Aronofsky is clearly trying to make a little comparison there as well in this, in this film, you know, um, you know, and even just the, uh, I think a more contemporary theme, I think that, uh, unfortunately is really irrelevant right now in light of some in the States, uh, some laws that are being contested, you know, with, uh, I know Roe v. Wade in some states uh, seems to be almost being overturned, uh, and which is really sad, sad and awful, and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, the, that tide doesn't grow and get worse, and furthermore, hopefully, you know, some of the, these decisions can somehow be overturned in uh, the Supreme Court or in, you know, state courts. But in any case, I think this movie also has something to say just about the lack of autonomy that women have over their own bodies. Especially, yep. you know, Jennifer Lawrence's character, uh, the house itself is meant to be, I think, an extension of her. Of her. And, you know, one of the more disturbing and surreal scene, uh, moments in the movies are when that house is just being disrespected, so therefore she is. And people are taking things from the house. And the final climax of the movie is her own baby being being taken and killed so it's you know it's it's almost as if uh they're trying to make a point about the lack of autonomy that is granted women over their own body and their own desires that uh, still persists in society today and has for um a very long time yeah right? yeah and yeah so like let's um that's the thing about this too is um this is such an easy movie to kind of bop around so sure. fluently and, and again it's kind of ironic because it's, it's the way the movie plays out like mm. one of my notes here is that i find like the in, the most interesting thing i find it couldn't be very very frustrating for other viewers probably who probably have a reason to hate it is i find the time time in this movie is almost like 
like waves in in the ocean where it's like there's peaks and valleys there's all this, there's a lull where it's like you think you're in you feel like you're in real time and everything's going okay then all of a sudden you hit a wave and things progress like a year it feels like it, yes. it, it, time is very very fluid it and it, it's it's hard especially on a first initial watch to grasp like when you're really looking at things and like how did this when you turn a corner like why are all these people here all of a sudden but once you just kind of like let go of like the the realistic like narrative of like what the fuck's happening here and you just kind of like let the experience wash over you it, it gets a little easier to consume it of what it's trying to say mm -hmm. so before we get um too much into the weeds here let's just talk let's let's talk about the, the main characters and we can kind of do what we're doing and plot some of the key things we think we're saying about it so let's sure. let's start with jennifer lawrence in sure. terms of like her performance and not even just like the various meanings but just like her as a character period in terms of like how effective she is throughout the movie yeah, sure. I mean, she, um, you know, she's, um, I would say, unfortunately, I mean, a, a way to describe her in general is that she often, kind of, to me, just feels like she's constantly defensive. And yep. she is a bit of a victim throughout this movie. Um, she is someone that I think, um, early on, we, we, we see her, uh, like the opening shot that we have of her, uh, the main opening shot is her kind of waking up in bed, and she's kind of looking for her husband, uh, Javier Bardem. Uh, we don't know where he is. And this kind of very subtly sort of s sets up the dynamics, which is she's all kind of serving him in some sort of a way, looking for him. Looking for and, guidance. And he is not really available, so yep. to speak, because in that opening shot, he is somewhere. We don't know where, where she is. Um, she is somebody that seems to spend her life, um, you know, focused on trying to make as good of a home as possible for her and her husband. Uh, we find out early on in the film that there has been some kind of mysterious fire of some kind, uh, but now the house has been uh, renovated, basically, seemingly single-handedly by her. Um, she is the one that kind of seems to do all the plastering, all the renovation, all the various work. Uh, you can notice I'm not a contractor, so I'm glossing over the various types of work. <laughs> you know, the plastering and the, yeah. and the cleaning and the nailing and the, and the, and the, the, nailing, <laughs> the screwing. No, but uh, she's doing all the renovations, we'll say. Um, but we also get the sense that Javier Bardem is not helping with this in any kind of a way. He seems to be focused constantly on uh, doing his creative work, which is um, it's never made, poetry, and it's it's but it's never made known. Like we know he's like a writer, and like he yeah. said, a poet and stuff like that. But they do. I love how we're never shown like what it is he's doing or what he even finally comes out with, which again is a very important aspect we can talk about later and what it's saying. But it's like I love that. I love the because because we're so specifically put in her shoes is the brilliance of like what I think Aronofsky yes. does in this, and that's what puts my anxiety through the roof is because he does such a good job of like putting us in the point of view of this one character throughout yes. the whole experience, is that we are left in this idea of uncertainty and like because when when we question things half the time of like what is going on, why did someone do this? Like the Jennifer Lawrence character is questioning the same things. Like she sure. is she. I like how she isn't acting. Like, she's in the movie she's in. She's acting like us is the best kind of way to put it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I like that feeling because it's what it, what I think it does throughout the whole movie. Kind of It comes with the theme. The, I can paint a better picture of the whole nature theme with what I think is going on. But it paints a really good picture of what you're saying, too, about, like, the allegory about, like, just present-day women and how they're underappreciated. Because I think that, like, 
the biggest thing my anxiety puts through the roof is the idea of gaslighting and how like sure. every like she and that's why I said earlier about how it's like it feels like you're in a bad dream because the first like two thirds of this movie she's constantly in situations where we as the audience agree with where Jennifer Lawrence is coming from and the problems she's having and the issues and stuff and in fact she's trying to be polite but like when she snaps. Everyone looks at her like you're being the ignorant one. That's here. right. How? Why are you talking to us like this? And everyone's like, "Yeah, like how dare you?" But like, and again, so it comes to perfectly to your point about what I think is saying yeah. about the female gender in general, and like how the public at large have to like pat their head and you know say like, "Okay, yeah. that's go away now," type of thing, right? And I think there's just such a expectation placed on women that they are just nice and go with the flow and don't. Don't rock the boat. Don't rock the boat. Don't stand up for yourself, even if that means that your own autonomy and your own rights and your own sense of comfort is being disrupted. There's all kinds of ways I think our society kind of does that. I think young women in particular, I think, are are kind of uh, subjected to that. And uh, so, yeah, you're right. I mean, like, we... uh, And honestly, like, in some ways, like, I identify with um, Jennifer Lawrence's... um, perspective at times because i myself am like a bit of a pleaser like i don't like yeah. to rock the boat and i'm not you know there are probably even times where i probably you know could stand up for myself yeah. at times but i kind yeah. of just like allow you know for, for the for the betterment of of keeping the peace yes you know i'll yep. just kind of like let things go or that kind of thing so what you often see is just things escalate with intruders coming into jennifer lawrence's house intruders that she doesn't know strangers people kind of that are all of a sudden just uh you know permitted to stay in the house because her husband has has allowed it to to go on yep. and she's clearly uncomfortable this whole time and we share in her discomfort and uh but she feels powerless to uh, do anything about it and again like i think that's and i don't think it's much of a stretch to say kind of like bouncing back again to the the nature uh, metaphor right where it's like I think the first like ten minutes of the movie again, or it's just it's supposed to be the idea that all that exists at this point is God and nature, and mm-hmm. He's allowing nature to do what it needs to do to create this world, to make the better world, to make this beautiful living being that like everything can exist on. But to the point of what I'll, we'll talk about more when we get into Javier Bardem's character is that like he's off being selfish, doing his own things for the sake of creation, and his mind frame is almost like, okay, I've got, I've created you, yeah. you can go and do what you got to do. And he's so overwhelmed with just, like, more and more creations and doing more and like adding more to this, like, game that almost that he's playing that he gets distracted on how certain things can affect other beings, sure. right? Almost, like, from a selfish point of view. Yeah. But, like, so the idea of the nature component of rather than just looking at, like, the female perspective of, like, society looking down, it's almost like, again, she's nature. Humans now are coming into the world, which is what's representing them taking over the house, and they're fucking with... Yeah. All the work she's yeah. put into this house, all the trees that nature's created, all of this. They come in and they start painting her the walls for her. And yeah. she's like, I don't want that. You know what I mean? But it's like, but she, and because she has no, because she's being so passive, like nature, she has no control to stop us that's right. from doing what we have to do to this planet, right? So, like, that's the frustration she's experiencing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, honestly, like, to, to just to put it bluntly, I mean, it, it paints a pretty bleak picture of, of the um, effect that human ha- humans have on the Earth, period. Yep. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, I think the suggestion is sort of like, you know what, if Jennifer Lawrence and Mother Nature were just left to their own devices, there would be, like, perfect harmony. Like, she would be content. Uh, there would be a 
complicated relationship perhaps between her and her husband, but basically if she was kind of left on her own devices, things would be fine. But it is humanity itself when as soon as they start showing up bit by bit, um, it's, it's ultimately a destructive force. Yep. And, they, and we come to learn, too, because it happens so rapid fire, and again, like time is such a strange construct in this movie that like things are progressing and moving so fast that Jennifer Lawrence's character like us can't keep up with it almost. Exactly. And like we're it's like it's almost like we're trying us and Jennifer Lawrence are experiencing this movie on a linear timeline while around her because nature has been around for <laughs> as long as the fucking planets exist. Yeah. Things are happening so much faster around her than while she's moving at a normal pace is what I'm trying to say, right? Yeah. So she can't keep up with all this change and these these adjustments and like like you said, as soon as these humans start showing up, all they care about are themselves and yep. everything around them. They never focus or care about like the work she's put into the house or that it's even her house, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, like, I mean, and then to keep on top of that, like, another interesting fact, why I think sticking with the biblical kind of notions to this is we get a kind of a break from this invasion of the house where, fucking Christ, like, the scene where she constantly had to tell people to get off the sink. Like, my anxiety was, like, through the fucking I roof. I literally... It was so infuriating. I wanted to yell at the TV and be like, get out the fucking sink. So infuriating the way these people, not only do they ignore... So basically, the sink hasn't been braced, uh, which I guess means... Uh, <laughs> like put against the wall. It has been put against the wall, so it's not secured. So, um, you know, these people just kind of look at Jennifer Lawrence and it's not like almost this sort of eye-rolling way, laughing at her, until eventually they actually tried, seemingly tried to take the sink down. They knock the sink off the wall and that causes like water to just flood into the kitchen and yeah. the whole house gets flooded out and so what i think this is is um again sticking with the biblical perspective of all this is i think that this because this is what clears the house out and we're left finally again with her and her husband i think that's supposed to represent the great flood yeah and i think it's supposed to represent the fact that it's cleansing the planet again of all right. foulness and selfishness and sure. stuff and it's supposed to bring things back to what god intended it to be right a clean yeah. slate besides obviously Noah and stuff and that's why we get a point where it's just got uh, javier bardem's character and jennifer lord's character again and this is where she finally gets impregnated which is kind of like touched upon here and there throughout the first part of the movie and again, I think this is supposed to be the new hope where she finally gets a level of happiness again, where she can kind of start creating again and she can start kind of like creating her own life. Because then what do we see happen in no time after this great flood happened? We finally see Javier Bardem complete his masterwork, his whatever right. it is he's been working on this entire fucking movie. We don't really know what it is. We assume it's some great poem or story or some shit, but we never really see what it is. And it gets released into the world. And it causes people to flock to the house and not even i mean not even just like touched like annoying like it was in the, the first half before the great flood is what i'm thinking has happened but now it's just the house is getting fucking taken over by people and um i think obviously with i don't think it really needs to be fucking said too much i think it's supposed to represent the bible coming into creation yeah, exactly. and like you know basically what the flood this created in terms of like culture at this point yeah. right and I just think that, you know, it has exactly culture coming about. And I think that people, a couple things going on in this movie. I think that people all of a sudden develop this attachment to Javier Bardem, who's the poet. And they feel like, oh, you know, like, you know, which often happens with, you know, fans of, of, of fiction and fans of, of um, you know, 
different albums and stuff, these people feel like they're being spoken to directly by him. You know, and I think that's also true of religion. You know, people feel as though, you know, God speaks directly to them. So they feel like they have this kind of du direct connection with Javier Bardem. Many of the people that show up to the house, house do. So what ends up happening, I think, is that people, the fans, they have this sense of um, almost entitlement over the house itself because they feel like, oh, this is Javier Bardem's house and he's speaking directly to me. Yep. I have this connection with him. So all of this, in a sense, is collectively kind of ours. Sort of a connection there with religion, I think, in some ways, where you think, where people feel like, well, you know what? I'm one of God's children. You know, um, this is God's planet. Therefore, I can do whatever the fuck I want to this planet because mm. I'm a child of God yep. and, and, you know, God is allowing me to do this. But, you know, the argument is that, you know what, uh, this is not actually God's planet. This is Mother Nature's planet. Exactly. God is an invention. This notion of, you know, his power and his dominion, I think what the movie is trying to say is that this is something that is you're just imagining, is kind of made up. And... Um, the real person that is truly in power here is Mother Nature, but yep. because Mother Nature, you know, in some ways, uh, I guess, lacks the ability to to fend off immediate threats, um, you know, there's a destructive kind of quality to uh, to her as a result of people being on planet Earth. Yes. But what's interesting though is that, you know, the movie almost sort of suggests that in time when. when Mother Nature will lash out and defend itself periodically. Yeah. So we see that with the the flood, you know, when uh, it almost just sort of happens, almost like in a karma kind of a sense, or it just is. like in a natural way. I look at it as more of a karma, like I said, a cleansing of yeah. this bullshit type of thing. Right? But then at the end, I mean, we're, we're jumping over a lot of things that happen in between, but at the end, you know, Jennifer Lawrence... Uh, lights the house on fire and, you know, kills herself and everyone else in it. And, I mean, take that as global warming. Global take, warming. Take, take it as the notion of, like, we've pushed ourselves selfishly so far to the extreme that we feel like we can control nature and yeah. this planet as a whole. It's fucking ridiculous to assume that. I mean, how many times have I said throughout all these fucking episodes the theme of nature I always play with where it's like, you know, as powerful and all controlling itself as that we can be. It's like, nature will just run us over at the end of the day. Like, yeah. it always comes back to my favorite fucking George Carlin bit, where he was just kind of like, save the planet. Mm. He's like, the planet's fine. We're yeah. fucked. Yeah. We're not saving the planet. We're saving ourselves. Like, how yeah. fucking brilliant. It's so yeah. true. I mean, it is. It's like, we're not saving the save planet. Save the planet. We, even, we can't even take care of ourselves. Yeah, like, like what are you talking about? Like, and that's what... It's exactly what I get when this movie ends. Like, that's what it's trying to say. It's just like, we're so selfish yeah. that we think we can literally control everything that happens. And we here we are here now with all the science and all the fucking facts and all that you want to put in in terms of, like, we still have deniers of global warming and that it's not a thing and we're turning a blind eye to this. We're inevitably, it's going to get to the point where it's one of these disaster movies where we're just like, well, we got seven days till the fucking planet's going to implode. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just, but we're so ignorant and just want to turn a blind eye to the next generation that we just don't give a fuck, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I love that Carlin line, too, where he says, you know, when it's, uh, you know, when the time comes, uh, nature will, will, or the earth will just shake us off like a case of like bad fleas. Like a case of bad fleas. I love that and line. It's so true. Man, that's, and again, like, coming back to, like, this movie, like, that's what the people are in this, in this house. Like, they're like parasites 
Yeah. Like they're just coming yeah. and they're leeching onto this house and leeching onto this idea that Javier Bardem's character has. And like another interesting thing is what you were just saying about the whole idea of like the message coming out. I think it's twofold what it's trying to say once he releases quote unquote the Bible or like his masterpiece, whatever yeah. you want to interpret it. Because what I interpret that as is like soon as he puts that out in the world, as an artist, we've already kind of discussed this theme in something else, where it's like, once you release your art to the world, it's not yours anymore, really, sure. right? Like, yeah. it's at the domain of the public, of society, of culture, and unfortunately, whatever intentions you had for it to be, it's not under your control anymore. So, like, you got to let the public do what they want to do with it, if that's how you want to be, right? And the same can be yeah. said for religion. Like, once you put the Bible out... I mean, the demean, like, the fucking Bible of any religious listeners or anything, but they're, they're comparing it to art in the same sense, where it's like, once you put that out to humanity and have them allow this to interpret it over fucking hundreds and thousands of years, then, like, yeah. you know, it's going to get skewed, and it's going to get put in selfish interpretations to better what the selfish human wants, right? Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Um, I'd like to talk about... This is jumping ahead, but, like, I think... I want to talk about... Um, some of the elements that really make this a horror movie. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think there's a couple things I'd like to look at. One is the um, just the kind of disorienting nature of the of the film, like the dream logic aspect of it, but also the end sequence involving the child. I think like that wow. that whole part. I think I'd, I'd like to discuss. Um, but the disorienting nature of it really kind of. Um, I think brings in the horror in a lot of ways. I think really the horror in many ways comes from, as we were talking about earlier, you know, Jennifer Lawrence's lack of control yeah. over the situation, us sharing in her anxiety, and just how, you know, uh, people are just showing up unannounced and seeming like seemingly and just with their own agenda. walking into the house. Walking in. Like, like that's like, so much of the movie yeah. is just that. You just, know? just, just day to day ignorance and selfishness and greed and just fucking like i said i just just ignorance i hate i hate that shit it really it's like i'm the key demographic to like if this is the horror quote-unquote for the first like second again i'd say keep saying the first two thirds yeah. we'll we'll keep the last third as a little conversation piece in itself there's so much to be said about that yeah. but like the first two thirds of the movie it's like it plays on me because i fucking hate that stuff i have like ocd for like Things having to be in a certain place, and, like, my space is... Not my physical space, but my house is my house. And, like, you know, I just don't... There's a certain level of, like, rudeness you don't cross without saying something. And the idea, again, it's like, like what I said earlier, is like, how this is, like... I've had bad dreams like this, where I'm in a situation, and, again, like, I look around, and I'm the only one looking at a certain, whatever, outlook, like, something might have happened, and I'm like, yeah. why am I the only one thinking this is weird? And then everyone's looking at you being like, are you, like, what's wrong with you? Like, are you yeah. crazy or something? Like, it's just, it is such a terrifying feeling, and I don't like it's it at a, all. It's such a unique way of, of, of inducing anxiety and fear in the audience, just playing on these really subtle social anxieties, you know, which... Kind uh, of like funny games. It's a weird comparison, yeah. but it's kind of like, again, where it's like when you're playing, when you're... You're playing with social cues, and you're you're riding that line to see when you're gonna peek over, like yeah. stepping over the line. It's like stretching social niceties to their limit, stretching exactly. kind of politeness to its limit. Yep. And at a certain point, it just you snap when you reach your breaking point, which we eventually do see. Gen well, we see a couple of times Jennifer Lawrence reach her breaking point, most significantly at the very end of yeah. the film when 
Oh, really horrific things happen, yeah. but uh, yeah, but it's it's fascinating and anxiety-inducing to see how uh, far that stuff can be stretched. Her tolerance yeah. can be stretched, and like especially on a first viewing of this, like the unpredictability of it all is what makes it so scary as well. Because like I mean, because you're set in this kind of surreal world that you don't really understand what you're going to experience next, it really puts you on this heightened sense of like, where is this going to go? What? Am- yeah. And then also on top of it, it's one of those rare instances where like the strange reputation it had before I even watch it, I knew something was coming. Like, I, yeah. I just didn't know what, because I just didn't want to spoil it for myself. And, I mean, it came. Yeah, <laughs> it got sure. it, it really lived up to, like, all the fucking, you know, the hype around it and stuff. But So, so I guess we can talk about maybe the, the end sequence now. Yeah. It's, it's basically the last half hour of the movie where, and I'm pretty sure, like, the one thing I read in, like, I don't know, a trivia section or some shit is, like, that's why the exclamation point is in the title of the movie, is to kind of emphasize... At the end. Yeah. The end. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's to emphasize where the fucking movie kind of plays out, right? Sure, yeah. Mother! Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I mean, let's just get into it. Like, basically, what happens is shit just hits the fan once... Uh, Javier Bardem's character finally releases his masterwork, and like I was saying earlier, it's like everyone and their uncle just starts flocking to the house. We see just like like paparazzi showing up, but it's like the way they show it, especially like initially when it happens on the front porch and they're all starting to show up and stuff. It's like Aronofsky almost goes out of his way to make it you feel like you're on a sound stage like he never everything's always blacked out in the background like mm-hmm. he, he goes out of his way to almost make it look like you're in this confined space which sure. creates yeah. this insane sense of claustrophobia the whole time because you felt it a bit in the first half of the movie but i mean once this again this second run comes and like everyone just starts taking over the house like it's to the nth degree in terms of claustrophobia and like you feel like like she's like squeezing past everything yeah. to get through this house, right? and she's pregnant. I mean, and like, she's pregnant. I mean, and then that's the big thing, right? She, um, I think they, yeah, they, they hadn't been having sex, but then I think it's after the flood. It's after the flood is what it was, and that's where I got the interpretation of like a new beginning, sure, to, like, planet Earth yeah. and stuff, right? And like that's why she got her hopes up again in terms of like things for the better we feel like yeah. he's paying attention to me again and stuff and like the irony of everything is like because it's all pressed on her that she's the inspiration for him doing this so That's the right. irony is like am i supposed to feel guilty that he's doing this because i'm here but i'm not really doing anything you know what i mean I'm yeah, not really exactly. Doing anything. yeah exactly so it's like playing with that notion but either way it's very very hard to paint literally the picture of what happens here it's just essentially like what 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 it is okay what it is uh, metaphorically what's happening in the house the last half hour of the movie it's almost like showing us right now over the past like i don't know 100 or 200 years what we've done as a society all mm-hmm. the horrific selfish awful things we've done as a race like i mean we like the house just transforms into this like war zone essentially like literally a yeah. war zone like and then we just see like random mobsters we see like scenes of human trafficking we see rape occurring we see like the occults happening in a corner somewhere doing their own thing we see Kristen Wiig Kristen Wiig with the most random cameo (laughs) probably ever yeah. She is she is uh, Javier Bardem's publicist, so once he releases this, she shows up right after, and she's like, oh my god, you've done it, and you're the inspiration, and goes over, like, hugs Jennifer Lawrence and stuff, and then she just kind of becomes one with the mob as everything happens. Five minutes later, she's doing, like, ritualistic uh, Mur- executions, yep. basically, with people on the ground. Yep. And, I mean, again, like, that's just, I'm not even giving justice to, like, what's going on in this house. It's just 
every people in cages. Yeah, know. it's just it's just every awful thing you could think of happening around the world in one place. Like it's not just like they're it's not like they're just in a war. It's like there's war happening. Yes, but there's like SWAT teams running through, and then there's something there's, there's like uh, there's indigenous people ripping boards off the wall. Where she's like, "That's mine," and he's like, "Well, we were here first. So you yeah. kind of a little smidge on colonial. Yeah, and I can't help but feel like maybe there was a little bit of a commentary just on America at the time as well. I mean, this movie was made in the midst of um, you know a Trump presidency, and let's not forget that you know images of children in cages along right. the southern border was something I think that a lot of us will remember. Basically, these are illegal immigrants that were then imprisoned for a period of time and left for I don't know know exactly how long, but certainly it would seem to be very harsh, uh, cold treatment by these people, and, you know, we see echoes of that in, in the living room, yep. where people are, are in cages. And that's and the thing, is, like, that's hard to paint the picture of, is, like, you think this is, what we're saying is happening in this, like, huge, I don't know, fucking silo or something like that, it's like, no, all of this is, like, constructively happening in the house, it's like, every room, once she turns a corner, is turned into this insane, weird set piece, like, almost like a play that's happening, and then she turns around into the kitchen, and something completely different is happening in there that's awful right and it's just it's just like john said unfortunately it, it paints the bleakest outlook on the human race it paints puts us down into our most animalistic kind of like characterization type of thing especially right? as groups of people yes i, th- yeah. I, I think that's an important detail as well I that's think, a really important thing to detail, i think actually. that individually there are certainly moments where you know you see people Acting sympathetically, etc. But and they'll listen, you... they'll listen to her when, like, yeah. she'll tell one person to kind of fuck off, just doing something simple. They'll be like, "Oh, okay." And then, but then you'll see him come back with like four other people, and then you're right. They, yeah. they, because they're in a group environment, the mob mentality sets yeah. in, right? Whenever you see groups of people, they are often doing things that are terrifying, I, I, acting terribly, belligerently. You know, so maybe uh, Aronofsky's trying to say something about that: how humanity transforms once they are accumulated in big numbers i yep. don't know you know and i mean one of the because i mean we can there's no need to paint every fucking little thing that's going on but either way like that's the, the this is where we are in the last half hour it's just madness and jennifer lawrence is just has no her house is in fucking shambles and yeah. not even just that there's just murder and death and mayhem and fucking awful things happening everywhere around her and she's just trying to get her bearings about her at the same time she's trying to keep in touch with Javier Bardem, who's bouncing around, trying to keep control over the whole situation as well. And by the way, you know, she does say to, Jennifer Lawrence does say to Javier Bardem, can you tell them to leave? She does say that at times, and he will not do it. As mentioned, you know, he is sort of, um, is in a position of neediness. He, He desires his adulation. He likes that people are there. And so he just allows it to happen. He feels as though he can't tell them to leave. That's why I think it's such an interesting perspective to look at him as God. Because yes. it's such an unbelievably unique portrait of what God is. Where it's sure. like because it's like it's such an imperfect narcissistic perspective of what he's all about. Because like you yeah. said, it's t- essentially painting him as the grand artist is what it's saying, right? Where you know, and and then like the constant nagging uh, that that's a, a harsh word but the constant like pleading of jennifer lawrence to say can you just make these people leave he constantly gives these like really like blank answers of like i can't or it's like oh it's out of my control or it's this or that when it's like you can just tell him to fuck off but 
it's kind of like playing with God as us as human beings, where it's like if we we believe in him so strongly and we pray for him to do this and we always have notions of like if God exists, why are there flash floods and this and stuff? And yeah. it's just trying to show how if that if he does exist, if he or she does exist, this is what he's like. I mean, he's just like, I've created you with free will. Now you go about and do your thing. I don't have any control over the sake otherwise. All I can supply you with is my message. Which is his poetry, right? Exactly, and just the and just the idea too of like you know, I'm not going to care about all the terrible things that you do necessarily, but the most important thing is that you just love me. Yeah, like that's the most important thing in his mind, you know. Exactly. And I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, is that not? I mean, I guess we do have codes of ethics, and you know, um, you know, different idea, like different kind of uh, ways that you're supposed to act that are that are laid out by different religions. But I mean, so much of what divides people now in religious terms in America and Canada is are you a believer or not a believer? It's yep. just like are you on God's side or not on yep. God's side? And that's all Javier Bardem really cares about. It's like are you with me? You yep. know? Like are you my follower? And that's what he's and if doing. you are, you can stay. Exactly. And that's you what know? he's doing running around the house. It's like you said he's trying to just calm instead of telling them to leave, he's trying to calm them and sh like give them his like pray like give him his moment to kind of see him and touch yeah. him and stuff and that'll draw him back in. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And so it's a very needy depiction of God you absolutely know, needs people just needs them to believe to hang around to kind of maintain his power and his own self-worth sort of right I want to talk about too because again like I kind of glossed over it earlier because I mean it just kind of comes with the conversations we're having here now but it's like I mentioned I, I can't remember a, re a movie I watched recently with such like blatant symbolism of like whether it's an object or yes. it's, it's like a, a, a human lot. being there's a lot to take in and the problem with my issue with the whole biblical approach is that a lot of the simple basic things go over my head like a yes. certain frog shows up at a scene is that supposed to mean like probably this probably you know what something. i mean like yeah but it's like but then there's other things which are clearly more obvious and i'm just trying to kind of put a pin on two things like one besides the main thing i'll get into is there's a constant tone of yellow and like yeah. throughout the movie whether she's painting the wall yellow she drinks a yellow medicine throughout the first half of the film um, the sun is yellow, the fire is yellow, and, like, I, I feel like the th what it's supposed to represent, I guess, is, like, some form of cleansing. Yeah. To, some form of, like, good purity, maybe, because then she, because, like, what happens is, like, she is taking this strange yellow medicine that she mixed with water, and then when she decides to dump it out and not take it anymore, that seems to be when shit goes awry, is what it kind of comes down to, is what I think. And then the end thing happens when the fire happens at the end that's like the end all be all yellow cleansing of everything again right maybe yeah i know i uh wish i could have could say more about it but that one did um po like no give me notes and, and i honestly wouldn't be able to have like an intelligent thought to make about it right now but there's all kinds of symbolism that i'm still kind of like oh that's interesting but i yeah. feel like this movie just requires a lot of Focus. introspection a lot of focus and probably multiple viewings i mean like it, it's it's ironic too because a lot of people like you're I, i've talked to a few people because they're like besides the fucking madness at the end they're like it's a really boring movie but it's like i it's like i get what you're saying but it's just like but it's it's one of those movies like i've said before was like you got to put the work in like, you do you, re you really got to put work into watching this and take it in or else by the time you hit the halfway point you're gonna be like what am i fucking watching anymore do you know what i mean like yeah for sure for sure the other because the other thing is too i want to because i don't want to because the yellow again is like i don't i don't want to waste i didn't want to waste as i was watching it too much time and figuring it out even though i knew it clearly meant something like that i'm probably wrong yeah but the other thing was the stone 
Yes, right. And that's, that's the other major it's, it's, symbol. It's, yeah, yeah, it's the main, like, clear object that's 100% supposed to have some, like, core meaning, as we'll find out near the beginning and the end of the yeah. movie, and where it's kept to. And I think that the stone, from the biblical standpoint, is supposed to represent life, purity, or faith as a whole. Because that's what seems to be used to create nature and the world and everything for what it was. And it starts the cleansing process again. And God seems to keep it on this literal pedestal in his office. And what happens is the first half of the movie, we see Adam and Eve, as I call them, which is Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer. They go in selfishly into his office to see the stone, touch the stone, and they knock it over. And I think that's supposed to loosely represent them fucking up and eating the apple in the garden yeah, exactly. and, then, and then him casting yeah. them out of Eden exactly. I, th I think that room represents Eden yeah, and then sure. he boards it up and like then anyways a bunch of other shit happens and stuff. but then again like we see near the end of the movie once the stone comes together again which is inside of Jennifer Lawrence we come to find out like that's what starts the whole cycle again I, I that's a very very basic and high level perspective but like I just it's it's a rough one to really pin down and say like what is 100% this saying right yeah no 1000% no I think that that's a good assessment right there and that's, that's kind of my my take on it as well so <laughs> I don't have much more to add <laughs> but it's true it's like because yeah. then I'm trying to think just for creative sake like like what if I don't look at it from a biblical standpoint like what is it saying from like the artist standpoint like it's saying like yeah do you know what I mean right. is, is, is that is that like maybe the uh, the praise he's seeking is that like the godlike status he wants to achieve is this is this creation that he's looking at like because he didn't create it is he jealous and like wants to create something this beautiful? Is that kind of could be? Could be that could also be just uh, the artist form of inspiration that yeah. is kind of you know that that is meant to be kept pure and and distant from everybody else. You know, those are two two ones for sure. But like I said, I mean, definitely requires a little more reflection. I think you know to get at it. It's, these things are, are tough nuts to crack. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it means a lot. It's very dense. A lot of, I'm sure, uh, allusions to, like I said, like mythology in, in the Bible that I think, you know, maybe in a few years' time, after I've done some further homework, I'll be able to take more away from it. But it's, in any case, I think that you, what your, your assessment there is, is, pretty, uh, okay. is pretty sound, right? But, I mean, this can lead us in, then, to, without a doubt, the most horrific scene in the entire movie. Yeah. And it's where <clears throat> Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem, they are able to escape the mob essentially that are just like in the house at this point they hide away in the reason that's kind of why i wanted to explain the room what i think sure which i think yeah. is eden i think that's what it's saying yeah that's right it, you could also say heaven but i wouldn't say heaven i don't think that's what it's saying but um i think it's eden that's where they hide away where she's giving birth to the child yeah and like on you know basically a new beginning some kind of new creation from the planet earth and i think what it is is he's so eager for her to have the child because She's creating something pure, something beautiful, something he physically can't create at this yeah. point. And then he wants to take it immediately from her. And he wants to show the human race the inspiration of how beautiful and innocent this thing is. Because, unfortunately for God, again, in his narcissistic viewpoint in this movie, is that he can't look past the fact of how selfish humans are. He always gives them the benefit of the doubt, even though we're watching all these terrible things that are happening, that he's still willing to give his child and yeah. sacrifice it almost involuntarily to the to the mob is what he does, right? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, um, you know, when you think about it, too, uh, from a biblical standpoint, I mean, who is that baby? I mean, the baby is the son of God, and obviously that's a parallel there with Jesus. 
And there is something kind of fucked up when you think about yeah. the the uh, the story of Jesus' origins. I mean, you had you know Mary had this baby, but you know the Virgin Mary. I mean, we we never have like we never think in the, with the Bible story that you know oh gee you know this is Mary's baby. It's always just a given that oh this is the Son of God. Yeah. This this child belongs to yep. God in the same way that, that we is look at that. Really good actual fucking outlook. I'd never fucking thought of it like that. Right. Like, keep going. Like you're that's really really good. But you look at Javier Bardem and everyone assumes oh you know it's it's, it's you know it's his baby and yep. he assumes this ownership over it. It just he literally waits for her to fall asleep and snatches it from yeah. her is what he does right. But I mean we never I mean. Do we know what happens to the Virgin Mary after uh, she gives birth to Jesus? I don't even know if she's mentioned again in the Bible. I don't know if she is or not. But 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 the point is that like I think it does speak to kind of like a historical uh, lack of recognition of the, the ownership, females, like suffering, and what they have to what they have to do. They're the ones who harness and go through and like give birth to these fucking human beings, right? Yeah. And it's like you said, immediately it's just kind of like, oh, praise be to God, like this and that and the other thing. But it's like, oh, what about Mary who had to go through everything, yeah. right? Like, it's like, the, and again, she you just get the sense as soon as she has the baby, she loses this ownership over it. The baby now belongs to God, and in a sense, belongs to the public at large yep. because this is. You know, our savior. This is our uh, son of God. You know, and we have this connection to God, so we have this sense of ownership over yep. the child itself. And it sounds it sounds disgusting, like to put it in this way. But again, it comes back to the theme I was mentioning earlier about like artistry and just like the Bible itself. It's like once you put it out into the public, it's no longer right. perceived yours. It becomes their choosing as to how exactly. they want to interpret and what they want to do. So when he casts the baby to the crowd, they literally consume it. And yes. are just they they are slaves to what are being handed to them type of thing. And that is such a terrifying like I just wanna like break down that sequence for a moment. So like I, I just can't even um express the horror that I remember having when I was first saw this scene where Jennifer Lawrence wakes up, she, the baby is no longer with her, and the baby is Taken by Javier Bardem and is given to the to the this crowd that's accumulated in the living room, and they are oh it's so horrible. But like they're just passing the baby around, and the baby's just crying, screaming, and Jennifer Lawrence is screaming, "Oh, you're hurting the child!" Yeah. And then I think they just let the baby's neck go. Like, I don't even yeah. know if it's intentional. It, it, it's bit yeah. It's bit, essentially yeah. They, they it's it's like John saying it's it's essentially like crowd surfed almost and passed along through the mob and like they're so careless with it yeah it ends up just having its neck broken and then we see how it gets passed along to the shrine almost and then when jennifer lawrence fights her way with every fucking being she can to get to it yeah she comes to the shrine and again kind of like with the time aspect i'm talking about things kind yeah. of jump ahead a little bit she gets to the shrine and it's just like gut remains and bones and shit like that like that's all that's left there and then she turns around and she sees the entire mob literally like eating the child right kind of coming i mean again i think it's really really like hand-fisted in terms of like what they're trying to say but i blew on the nose in terms of uh body of christ and everything yeah exactly exactly but i think it's coming back to more important to like what we're supposed to feel again like of like the public at large and like how they're just slaves to what they're being provided, you know what I mean, in terms of, like, what they should follow, how they should interpret something, and, like, how they literally just eat it up type of thing. Yeah, exactly, that's exactly right, yeah, for sure. And it's from there that uh, Jennifer Lawrence is is finally pushed to her breaking point, 
we see another really fucked up moment. Yeah, this where, is just as bad. Where this she uh, basically she starts lashing out at everybody completely understandably. Is it, it, you know she's completely at her wits end. It's like the ultimate gaslighting scene. This one is right because it's yeah. like the peak because like she has absolutely every right to say you are a fucking monster. It's like get the fuck out of my house. I hate yeah. every one of you. And then, like, as a result now, I mean, she lashes out and kills a few of them. As I mean, as I guess at this fucking point in time, rightfully so. But then she, in turn, gets, like, beaten to a pulp at the yeah. scene. And I thought this was, ve- I thought it was very hard to watch. And, and, and again, um, you know, just to, to, to touch on, like, the, the violence against women ideas and the, uh, you know, the disrespect that women have uh, experienced historically that we mentioned, you know, thematically with this movie... You know, they're saying just the worst thing, the most awful things yep. to her. Like, you know, calling her a C-word and, you know... Whore and stuff like all that. that. Like stuff. just just And it's like you said, besides just beating the poor woman, like, they're just berating her and making her feel useless and fucking nothing and stuff like that. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I, just, I just love how she just gets up and she's just kind of like, fuck this type of thing and like that's when she gets to the point where you know it, it gets to, to the nth degree of like supernaturalisms where she just says like she just starts freaking out and the house just starts to kind of crumble at this point and it starts to kind of shake and this again this is coming to the point where i think it's trying to say is that like it's supposed to be humanity at its breaking point and it's gone so far where they don't have any control over nature anymore and yeah. it's out of their hands and jennifer lawrence as nature at this point or is just going to basically shut things down and just take control of this planet right yeah exactly right and then from there she goes uh just kind of goes directly downstairs in the, the basement or the boiler room and uh takes a lighter which comes up throughout the movie it's also yeah, a symbol of something i think like, it's javier bardem's lighter but there's something on it. i don't know what the crest is i don't know if that's supposed to represent something but i know that I, the only reason i stuck to it was like it was yellow and i don't know if that means the whole fucking yellow connection as well do you know what i mean like yeah but clearly that crest meant something i don't know but again like that went over my head in terms of what the fuck it is but maybe it does have some clever meaning but like john saying we go down to this uh, like boiler room at the bo- in the basement and it's kind of been shown the whole time that like there's an oil drum down there and stuff like that for fuel and that and yeah. she just fucking plunges I don't know a hammer or a wrench or something into it and we see everyone just pile down in the staircase and Javier Bardem just being like don't do this like stop They're, they'll get better basically like it's okay like just yeah, basically right. trust in my creations and exactly. all this and she's just like no fuck this and just lights the place on fire right yeah exactly and it's it's oddly satisfying. It's sure. Weird. It's, it's, oh, ter- yeah. it's terrible and bleak as it is to say this. It's like, what is this? Representing us. And like, the fucking inevitable fate we probably will have. It's terrible. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, I mean, it's just the definition of people getting their comeuppance after a scene just... You know, scene after scene, all Jennifer Lawrence in her home being disrespected. So, and again, like definitely that, satisfying. Yeah, and it's like... It's like, I find the way this movie is, is it's almost trying to play... Play, not so much play a joke, but like poke fun at us as humans, where it's like in order for us to get the point of a certain very important message or something across, we require it to be almost in human form told as what we would assume to be a straightforward narrative. Like yeah. we need all of, we need Mother Nature to be a character. We need God to be a character, and then we could be like, oh, this is what it's saying, type of thing. Kind of yeah. like the Bible, right? Like so, it's, it's so kind true. it's kind of what I think it's doing. It's almost like pointing at us and being like, do you really need me to make this movie for you to fucking understand like what what we're trying to say here about our like where we're headed to? It's exactly. like it's almost like again, it's like it's not poking fun at the Bible, but it's saying the same kind of like level of like what we need in terms to get across a point. 
in order to like understand where the fuck we're headed. That's kind of another thing I got near the end of it, right? A thousand percent. And then I mean, yeah, just tied up right quick after that. We um we see basically everyone's just fucking turned into ashes and all that's left is God or Javier Bardem who is doesn't have a mark on him, which also kinda indicates where I think that's why I think he's God at the end of this. And we see poor Jennifer Lawrence is the only one left and she is just like this burnt corpse essentially at this point right and god just kind of says like i'm sorry you know i didn't i didn't expect all this to happen this way and this and that and the other thing and basically he comes to understand this entire time uh that what he needs in terms of this crystal this gem that me and john were talking about it's been inside her the entire time and that's why i think it's supposed to represent just purity supposed to represent just like the the goodness of where faith can go whether it's attached to religion whether it's just attached to just normal living and stuff like that and like that's where it's at i mean nature is as pure as you can get in that sense because all it's trying to do is exist and live i mean it has horrific elements obviously that come with it but it's just existence is all it is there's no purpose yeah. to it besides that right i yeah, think that's what the good. stone inside it's supposed to represent yeah that's right just true. life right for sure absolutely and then that's basically how the movie ends. Like, he takes the stone out from her chest, and he places it back on the pedestal. And then again, kind of like I was saying at the first, like, 30 seconds of the movie, we see this whole recycle happen. And we basically see the very opening image of the movie that we see right at the end, but this time it's a different woman. Now, I'm wondering the choice in that. I don't... I, I, I get everything else, but why would it not be Jennifer Lawrence who wakes up again? I mean, you could say that, um, you know, there's different ways that you can look at this. I think that if you look at it from a female standpoint, uh, in the sense of this is the experience that women have had to deal with, you know, kind of helps universalize the experience yeah, on the one hand, where good. it's like multiple yep. women, all women kind of have to deal with this sort of a situation because we're given the impression as well like this constantly happens basically like it's inevitable yeah. that we were this is going to be our fate like we're, that's yeah. why the movie starts the way it does right and like i think this has happened over and over and over again and it's a new woman every time right yeah that's really good you could say <laughs> that uh, i don't know maybe each incarnation of the wife represents like a new era of humanity yeah. or something and that this process will keep going on with different eras of humanity or different eras of the earth or something yeah. like that. The one I'd say for you know? nature, maybe perspective is just like the faceless notion of nature that sure. like, you know, like obviously Jennifer Lawrence is here to represent it in this movie, but like from a grand scheme of things, there is no face to nature. It's just beautiful, pure existence is all it comes down to. Right. It shouldn't be specifically characterized by one individual face yeah, and that there's true. more to it than that. Right. Pinning it down maybe is one perspective yep. as well. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, those are, those are three, that's three, <laughs> those are three like, uh, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it's rough, but I mean, but this is, this is why I picked this movie, right? Like I know how fucked up it was going into it, but like it, it leads to so many different avenues and areas and like the twists and turns of like how you can even discuss it. Like there's so many things we didn't even have time to really kind of like, like nail down but i mean yeah. i thought we at least touched on like the key things. i think touched on the key things i think definitely touched on the key things but literally i think with uh more time and with extra study and contemplation yeah. frankly there's i'm sure there's a lot more that could be said but i think hopefully we've done a decent job of kind of hitting on the big points yeah you know? i agree did you want to give your final thoughts on mother yeah sure i mean this is a, a this is a movie that I'm, I'm really happy that i watched for a second time and had an opportunity to talk about it and honestly i really um even just chatting about it with you helped clarify some things 
uh, and just kind of, you know, get new ideas about uh, what the movie is saying. Um, first time that I watched it, really didn't know what to make of it, but the, but the second time around, I feel like I really gained a new appreciation just for the layered nature of this movie. You know, thematically, it has a ton to say. I think that, um, you know, it is a disorienting movie experience, but a fascinating movie experience. I think that, um, you know, somebody didn't even touch on, I think Jennifer Lawrence does a phenomenal job yep. in this movie. I really do. And Javier Bardem, for that matter. Yep. Who's, I love his work, and he's, uh, you know, does a great job as well. You know, sometimes um, there is sort of repetitive quality to the movie at times, where it's just like, it's just constant chaos and disarray, and you just feel like you're constantly following along Jennifer Lawrence, yeah. like, feeling anxiety, and I feel like there's a lot of that at times. Um, so I kind of can see that. Um, big, but The big drawback with me, I feel like, it just in some ways, is just like, it's so, it's so dense that uh, it almost, like, for, to a lay person, I feel like it's almost difficult to access and know exactly what it's what it's 100%. saying because it's so confusing yep. and it's not to say that, that is there's anything wrong with that i mean like that i mean like that's obviously some art is just complicated and is dense and you know is very esoteric and stuff but uh you know i guess just for me in my kind of lay perspective uh you know it's, it's certain details i feel like are hard to uh, f fully conceptualize but having said all that fascinating movie uh, glad I could chat about it, uh, and I would give it like a seven and a half out of out of ten would be my uh, would be my rating. Okay, yeah, I'm um, I'm with you, man. I'm really glad to just get a chance to kind of revisit this one. This has been on my mind now to kind of pick for a while now, just for the sake of like you know again like the the high level discussions that we kind of have with certain movies like this, where it's not just so important to focus on like plot details and stuff, but we can kind of take the time to you know chew what's kind of being put down here like pick through the meat of what what's actually being presented to us and like you can have multiple interpretations kind of left open to it right like th these are the kind of movies that i've always loved from my teens onwards like I, I hate to keep bringing up like david lynch and stuff over all these times but like he is one of the most influential filmmakers to me especially at a young age to understand how movies don't have to be told from a specific narrative standpoint like there's more, like, when you, you can take something at face value, but, like, you can also, again, look at something like a painting almost, right? Sure. And you have to go through this dreamlike state and earn the understanding. And, like, yeah. that's when you get into the realm of, like, the eye-rolling neckbeard, like, pretentious, like, art house movies. And you're just like, oh, like, and it's, you just don't get it. And it's like, I yeah. don't mean to be like that, but, like, I, there are movies that try to be like that is what I'm trying to say, and they're fucking garbage, and I hate them. And then yeah. there's movies like this where... I mean, holy fuck, you got, again, like, you got this filmmaker who's at the peak of his career right now in terms of notoriety in Hollywood, and he makes a movie like this? Like, this is what he chooses to do with, mm -hmm. like, the money he's been given? It's, I mean, it's it's ballsy. It's... It, <laughs> brave is such a corny word. But, I mean, it's it's just... I just uh, respect yeah. that he went for it, and he didn't hold back with the movie. And the other thing I love is that, like, all the actors, even the small parts and stuff like that in the movie i feel like everyone understands what he's going for whether the big message maybe not but like they get the tone and like the shtick of what he's trying to do here and i feel like everyone is in the same movie there's no like loose ends or anything and yeah i mean i again like just the horrific aspects of it, the stuff in this that scare me freak me out way more than just some fucking jump scare factory you know movie that's in a haunted house or something this is the kind of movie that lingers with me for days after 
And, you know, I'm hoping for on multiple watches to take even more away from it. Kind of like this. Like, it's my third watch, and I still feel like there's tons that I've not even fucking touched on. Oh, things. sure. So, yeah, I, I'm going to give this a little higher rating. I, I, I just really like it. I'll give yeah. this an 8.5 out of 10. Because mm -hmm. I'm expecting as I age and this movie ages, I think it's just going to have a huge cult backing. Definitely. I think it kind of has it now. Like there's, it's again, it has that love hate. It's either you fucking hate it and you just think it, you never want to look at it again, yeah. or you have people like who just absolutely love it. And again, yeah. I feel like I'm in the latter, but I'm not like obsessed with it. Yeah. But I really, really respect what he's sure. going for. Yeah. And I, again, I think this is going to age really well. And I think in like 15, 20 years from now, this is going to have a really, really big cult following. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, and I just like to see how it ages over time. So yeah, if you guys are interested in a real mindfuck and a nice surreal intense watch give a uh, mother a shot all right so next up on the docket we have grave encounters from 2011 directed and written by the vicious brothers aka colin minhan and Stuart ortiz uh cast characters we got sean rogerson as lance preston we got ashley grisco as sasha and merwin manderseer as tc Quick synopsis for the film. The crew of Ghost Hunting TV show hold up in an abandoned psychiatric hospital hoping to catch some spooks on camera. A scenario that can only ever end badly. And it does. Man, I'm 0 for 2 on the synopsis. <laughs> well, that, well, the first one was worded badly. This one was worded badly, but you didn't read it well. So that's okay. <laughs> no, didn't read it well. It was a little too vague. Okay, so... That's fine. Either way. Um, yeah. Yes, this is my pick. So this is John's pick. You had uh, found footage last episode, and why did you pick Grave yeah, Encounters? Yeah, this movie... I just... I remember watching this movie on a whim uh, maybe a year or two ago... I, and just loving it. Like, I remember, like, I was just, this is just one of these horror movies that it was like a random Sunday night or something, just a random night out of the week, and I wanted to watch a horror movie, and I literally, I think I googled found footage horror movies. Something like that. I had no history of it, no idea this movie existed, but I discovered it, and it was on a streaming platform, and I remember being so pleasantly surprised with it. Um... Like, I, I don't know what, if this movie has, like, a ton of acclaim or a ton of uh, notoriety or what this reputation is in the uh, horror community in general, but I just remember having a lot of fun with this movie. And not only that, it has... I, I think the movie is one of the movies that does a better job of kind of building suspense in a really effective way that I've seen in, in recent years. And... Some of the uh, the imagery that I've seen that I saw in this movie is just it's really stuck with me for for some reason. So, which is why I kind of wanted to uh, talk about it. I also love um, how I feel like it's it's just a great addition to the found found footage uh, genre now that's been established. I feel like it is you know in some ways building on conventions and tropes that have been developed with uh, previous found footage movies, but it's also doing some kind of really new and interesting stuff as well. Um, yeah, so, I mean, so that's the movie. We'll uh, have fun chatting about it, I'm sure. But what's your history with this movie? Um, it's something similar. I think you're right, man. I think I just kind of stumbled across this one a few years back. I, uh... It's one of those ones, like, I think I remember hearing about it because there was, like... There's, there's actually, like, a few um, sequels to this. I think yeah. there's, like, three or something. And I think these guys only made the first two. 
I've never seen second or third one. Or I've only seen I've only seen this one. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, again, like I, I, I can kind of imagine why, like when it kind of comes down to found footage and stuff like that. And when you start making sequels of found footage movies, it all starts to kind of get a little wonky. Given the fact, uh, given the exception of some of the paranormal activity ones, which I think are great. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, it's the same kind of thing, man. I just kind of stumbled across this one, gave it a shot, and it it impressed me too at the time. I remember. Uh, it kind of had the same effect on me as the one I think you also like Hell House LLC. Yes, love that. That's one. Same, same yeah. kind of vibe, right? Where it's like it goes for it, and um, I mean it's not the pinnacle of this subgenre by any means, but it really is respectable, like uh, addition to the genre, right? Yeah. Because as I've expressed previously when we're talking about Blair Witch and all this stuff, it's like it's so hard to to nail found footage. And, um, you know, you gotta do, you gotta follow, you have to follow certain rules in order for it to, like, be effective if you're gonna go that route, instead of just saying it's easier and cheaper to do this, which is, like, why a lot of people do it, right? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I feel like the strong thing about this movie that always caught my eye was, like, I love the premise of it and how it's being set up. It's a great excuse for the movie to exist and, like, why we're watching it and all this stuff. It sounds so silly, but, like, you do have to kind of go... As a filmmaker, you kind of have to go that route and put a bit of the work into why we're watching this. You can't just aimlessly throw it out and be like, oh, we found this, foot- some stupid little title card saying we found this footage and here it is type yeah. of thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. We'll just jump to it. Like, It's a really original, just a great idea, just a great yeah. concept for uh, for a movie. So basically, um, the movie is called Grave Encounters, but Grave Encounters is also the name of this fake uh, TV show uh, that... Um, the people in this movie run or are a part of uh, the show Grave Encounters is um, like a ghost hunting uh, show basically. And this but, was like peak, I think, when that show existed. Right. I think it was like because I never watched Ghost Hunters on TV, but I know I remember it existing. Yeah. And I think this was like peak time where this was on like the Travel Network or the fuck that came on. Yeah, for sure. And it it, it really really does borrow clearly from that specific one show and um i think the funnier the thing i liked about the second viewing is that like once everything was out of the way and i knew how it all played out i appreciated the humor oh yeah a lot more great especially the first like half hour there really there really is some funny instances and like i i get like i I didn't get a lot of the humor the first time i was watching because i was focusing so much on the real aspect of it but they ride that line of it being a movie like a real movie and found footage for the first while really well, yeah, I think they and, do, and it and it play and it play comes off as genuine. Yeah, it's a hilarious. Uh, you're so right. Like, there's so many hilarious moments in the first half an hour. Like, number one, the host, the whoever the guy who plays the host, uh, Sean Rogerson, Lance Preston is the name of the character, but he's like this. Um, I don't even know. It's like sort of semi douchey, oh, but kind of yeah. he has a, a gothic qualities. But he's he's very like handsome and self aware of the fact that he's like charismatic and stuff. But he like I don't know. He's um, whenever he del- like he has there's so many moments when he's like hosting. He's like speaking directly to the camera, but he just delivers these like very dramatic, yeah. intense lines, but in this very cheesy way. And I love these moments when he's also, uh, he's interviewing people who are, like, witnesses to, uh... Oh, w- was set up to, like, where they are. That's true. So, 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 okay, so basically, just, okay, so we'll take a step back. So, so like, the crew is at this, um, hospital. So, like, let, let, let's just talk about the movie, maybe, yeah. in general. So, like, basically, um, you have, they're, they're ghost hunters, as mentioned, um... 
But uh, they're self-aware, the ghost hunters are, of the fact that they are kind of charlatans, we'll yeah, say. Yeah, full of shit. That they're full of shit that, you know, they're not actually encountering any ghosts or anything like that. They're just doing it because they have a show off and running and that kind of thing. So anyway, they go to this hospital uh, that is supposedly haunted, and the whole crew and the host, none of them really think there's anything actually going on. And, you know, the first part of the movie is just them, uh, you know, like, talking about the show and them interviewing witnesses who have supposedly, uh, you know, seen things yeah. or, may, or may have just worked in the hospital right. over periods and of like time. employees on the ground and stuff like that. Just, exactly. And I, I like that, too, where it's like, not only are we hearing them talk about like how they're going to start, what they're going to do, like we see them come in and out of doing shots. They're like, okay, get a little shot here down this hall, and then just he, he walks very spooky. He's like, you got that? And then you can see them pivoting. Be like, all right, what are we going to do here now? Uh, well, this room's pretty spooky. We can do something here. It's like they bring such a real aspect of like exactly how I can see these these shows being filmed yeah. is what it comes down but to. But there's just, there's just such a funny moment. I remember at one point where uh, he's interviewing this guy. <laughs> And he's like this, uh, there's, there's two really funny moments, actually, from this whole kind of sequence at the beginning, but the one that stands out is he's interviewing this guy, that he's like an older guy who was a contractor, who yeah. had worked um, on the hospital, and um, this uh, older guy, he's kind of like, you know, yeah, not older, he's probably like, maybe like, you know, I don't know, he's a middle-aged guy, but he talks about how about 20 years uh, previous, they had been doing some work, and you know, like th- this this guy, he's, he's not s- totally convinced that there's any any anything like supernatural anything going on. But he does say that you know there was a guy that was working for me, and he was up on a ladder uh, outside the hospital, and he swears that he was pushed off the ladder, and then uh, he sort of fell, he fucked up his knee, and that caused him to quit. But anyway, so. This guy explains the whole story with the ladder and his employee, like, um, hurting himself. But then the host, who, like, sort of, like, lacks awareness or something, he just, like, he, he asks the, uh, the contractor guy, he says, so you, you're telling me that this would be an example of an intelligent haunting? Yeah. And then the guy just looks at <laughs> him like, and he's what? like, I guess? And anyway, with that, the host kind of just ignores the contractor and looks at the camera and he's like, you see, an intelligent haunting is one in which spirits do things intentionally to try to harm as opposed to a spot, I don't know what the other type of haunting is. Residual haunting. That's it. It's just when people, when when ghosts exist in a particular place and they are, uh, you know, on a loop. Anyway, as soon as he's done this explanation, the camera pans back, and you see the contractor. He's, he, he's just kind of like looking around, a bit disinterested and confused about all this stuff. <laughs> but just the host, it just he's this great combination of kind of like again, like hacky. oblivious and hacky and all that. But the other funny moment to touch on is the whole thing with the uh, the guy that they bribe. Oh, yeah. The, 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 that Latin American or Spanish guy who, who just, just, was just hired. Yeah, he has no idea what, like, he's like, have you seen any... Uh, <laughs> well, ask him initially. Yeah, have you seen any spooky activity? He's just kind of like, uh, no, what? Like, he has no idea what... He was just it. hired. Like, yeah. I just started working here this morning or something. <laughs> yeah, and he's just like, he's like, just give it a bit of money and just say he saw something spooky. And then there's a cut. And then it comes back to him after he paid him the money. He's like, did you see anything spooky? He's like, yes, I saw something very spooky <laughs> over there. And they're like, 
You heard it here, folks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just great. So it's a really funny uh, I, opening. I, and yeah. like, even just to add on to that, like the, the laughs I had, I think the biggest laugh, <laughs> the biggest laugh I had, because like, I can just picture these shows and like bringing these people in, is he brings in this like psychic guy. <laughs> yes, that guy is amazing. I think his name's Houston Gray. Yes. And like at first he's dressed like something out of the Matrix. Like he has these ridiculous yes. shades on, like a leather jacket, and he's like the crew psychic or whatever. And they yeah. bring him in very dramatic, and we don't know. We think he's like being serious at first. The way they bring him in, and he's like walking through the halls doing this shot, and then they yell cut, and he's just like, "Was that believable, or is that being a bit too much?" And they're like, "No, no, no, man, that was right. That was spot on." And he knows like it's all bullshit too, like. Yeah. So he is such a funny character. He man, is a very funny character. He just he'll just kind of meander around the hospital and stop in certain places with his hands out and be like, I definitely feel a strong presence here. But he's just I don't know. He has like this almost Chris Angel yeah. leathery matrix kind of <laughs> aesthetic to him and it's just I don't know. He's 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 a great uh, he does a great performance guy who agreed, agreed. Really plays him. So in any case, uh, the whole thing with the movie is that um, Again, these people are kind of like hacks or whatever on the show, and they're going to spend the night at this hospital. So they have, you know, it's they have their cameras and the crew is there, and they go into this hospital, and it's just kind of like what you would expect from like a typical kind of ghost hunting type show. They have cameras set up at certain strategic places around the hospital. They t they speak to a caretaker of the hospital and find out some places where ghosts have supposedly setting appeared. up future scares type of thing exactly right? so they kind of have um you know just the camera set up at certain kind of strategic places around that's, the yeah, hospital that's right? actually another really cool device to of it being what this is like this ghost show or whatever is like basically like john saying is like as they're doing a little tour they got one of their technicians running around a lot of the key areas where he sets up like five different cameras like down certain hallways and in certain rooms so that comes later to like set up different angles and stuff like that yeah. to when they're doing it so it again like the the idea of using the ghost hunting show as a device is a great excuse for there being all these multiple yeah. angles and stuff and another and something else that I think is one of the reasons that this movie did leave a bit of an impact, and again, it is actually one of the reasons I, I wanted to talk about it, is, you know, I think that with horror movies, you really can't underestimate the power of a well-chosen setting yep. for, for a horror movie. And I think that hospitals, particularly abandoned hospitals, whatever it is about them, are so uniquely terrifying. Like, I remember... You, we've talked about this before, but um, there is an old abandoned hospital. I think it's gone now. But uh, you know, when myself and Scott were, were in high school, we actually went in and got into this place. This would be a place that you know, I guess, young people would go in and hang out and poke around and this kind of a thing. And uh, I mean, it was just like this. <laughs> it was just like this. It's it was like great. you know. <clears throat> You know, just like very dilapidated and empty rooms and things written on the walls and just eerie, like yeah. eerily quiet. I think what's so creepy too about the setting of like again, like the abandoned hospital <clears throat> setting itself is like the bleakness of it all. Yeah, it's the fact that like you know, if you go into an abandoned hotel or like a house and stuff, there's a certain level of homeliness <clears throat> to those environments because yeah. obviously people would live there. But when it comes down to any kind of institution or hospital or something like that, there's a certain, like, kind of, besides bleak, just kind of, like, uh, sanitized feeling to it all. Yes. It's all just so blank. And, like, that's what trips me out and makes me kind of, like, creeped out of the setting is the simplicity of it all. Yeah, and also just, yeah, this exactly. And just, you know, the 
fact that the corridors are so long. Mm. If you you know, if, you can't even see near the end of them. They're so long, right? Yeah, and you have so many doors. I mean, it's so simple, but so many doors that theoretically something could come out of any one of them. You know, it's just you know, uh, you know, uh, endless numbers of doors that like you know go down a hallway. Uh, so it's just a gr- so as soon as they start kind of setting up and filming. Um, you know, just a, a really creepy atmosphere is established just through through the, the use of the setting. And then, you know, the movie kind of, um, I guess, has, like, in some ways a bit of a predictable kind of pace in that, you know, it starts off the... Um, we, not a whole lot happens from a supernatural standpoint early on. The crew are kind of very skeptical and, you know... What just kind of mocking of the situation that yeah. they're in, but they're kind of, I guess, uh, setting up these sort of artificial moments to try and extract, you know, TV moments for the show. So they'll they'll kind of go to some hospital room and they'll they'll, they'll create like a very staged situation yeah. where this they is can... the room where whatever died one day and apparently her ghosts roam the halls and like yeah. they'll try to do what they can to be like spirits, are you here? Yeah. Knock off your hair, like this nonsense, right? So Exactly, but I guess just, you know, what ends up happening with the movie and with the show is things start to escalate eventually. Everyone, and it's a, I think it's like five of them maybe in the crew, something like that, four or five of them. Yeah. Um, they all kind of break off and individually go and they're gathering footage and that kind of thing. And um, they individually each start to progressively... Uh, experience things. Yeah. And uh, there's one guy, I think the first one who experiences something is significant. The, I think it's the, is it the camera guy who set up all the ones in the hallway? Yeah, I think stuff? it is. He, the, with the door closing, I yeah, think. Yeah, it's either him or TC. TC's the guy who, like, the whole time is just on, like, fuck this kind of attitude. Yeah, like, exactly. Out of here. So you're right, I think it was him where, like John saying, they all kind of broke off. They're getting their own footage and walking around. Just, just getting, like, B-real stuff is even what they're saying. It's like, mm. just walk around, see some spooky yeah. shit, and yeah. then just, yeah. like, we'll use it as, like, background stuff. So kind of, that's why they're constantly filming. And, again, it's a good excuse as to why they're doing this. So it makes sense. And, yeah, I think what John's saying is, like, uh, a door closes on TC or whatever, and nothing's really explained. And then he shows the footage to all of them, and they're like, oh, this is fucking crazy. And I think a few of them then... Sp- uh, span off and so, I don't know if something else happens but they get to the point where they want to just say call it a night and just say fuck it let's get everything packed up and stuff like I think that. It's, I think her the, the girl's hair gets oh yes that's the big one that's the big one where he's like Lance is like no okay I'm done with this yeah because I mean up to that point I think everyone has a certain level of skepticism and I think they're almost hamming it up for the camera yeah. even when the door closes they're saying oh like they're saying to the camera oh there's no way that this door could have closed on its own because it's you know solid steel and there's no drafts there's no open windows or anything but you know i think in reality the characters still kind of think themselves okay like there's probably a natural explanation but as soon as the girl's hair uh whatever her name is uh is it is, ashley is yeah. it uh sasha no is sasha yeah it is sasha yep sasha. um her hair basically gonna get, gets uh, manipulated, as uh, Lance says over and over again. Her hair is manipulated. Uh, that's when they they kind of start freaking out. Right. Then they go downstairs back into the lobby and they start packing things up. And uh, it's this early, I think, um, these early moments where they 
kind of decide they want to escape, but they actually can't, that yeah. I found really, really effective. Yeah, and, like, the thing, too, I really like about, like you were saying about the setting, is that, like, even... Like, there's always a sense of, like, when everyone's together in a movie, it's not nearly as scary because, like, you're in a group and, like, maybe if you're, like, hidden out in a room or something like that, you're fine. But because they're in this, like, hospital and, like, they're all, especially because they're all camping down in, like, the main lobby is, like, their area to kind of just, like, have their little home base or whatever, it's, like, they have, like, these cool am camera angles set up everywhere so you can see it. It's not just all handheld every time, but, like... Even in this, because everything's so wide open, like, there's a sense of vulnerability, no matter yes. where they go. Like, I never get the sense that they're, like, fine type of thing. And they do such a good job of establishing that, even from, like, this standpoint. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, at this point, I think there's a couple of characters that they try to communicate with. I think, like, Matt is one uh, who's off on his own. And basically, they're, they're trying to gather everyone together to try to leave the hospital, yeah, I think. But Matt... Point. I think is one, um, he's, I think he's almost like, he's the one who does a lot of the editing yeah. and stuff like that. So he was the guy who, what it was, is to set up all the cameras in different hallways, and then they sent Matt out to be like, okay, you go collect all the cameras now that you That's had, it. and then we'll get the fuck out of here. And then basically he's sent off on this, like, little mission, and he just goes missing at that point. And that's what kind of, basically puts everything to escalation point, where it's like, okay, we're, something's happening here, right? Exactly. Um, and then I think there's another character, Kenny, who uh, doesn't return as well. He's out doing some shit. But anyway, when they can't get when they can't uh, get Matt and Kenny, uh, when they can't find Matt and Kenny, they they try to just start making their way out of the hospital. And this is such a great moment. I it love is. this about the movie. I didn't when, see a comment. I gotta say. Yeah, but this is such a great moment where they basically they go to the uh, the doors that supposedly are the uh, the doors that, that lead to going outside. It's the set of double doors. Um, initially, they can't open them up, but they eventually force their way through. But rather than these doors leading to outside, it just leads into another hallway down the hospital. So in other words, it's like somehow the physical layout of the hospital has changed. Then they go down this creepy hallway, they keep going, and uh, they eventually... they. they Come ac come across this uh, these other set of doors that say exit at the top, and they have this sense of relief initially, and then they push they open these doors, and then it's just another yeah. hallway. So it, I just I love that like that that's that, just something that um, I don't know if I, I, I can well, recall that, something like that being done before in a movie. Yeah. But it's such a great idea. But and, it, it, as simple as it is, it's so like because like the one thing they do really well is when that happens, like. You think, like, as we watch a movie, we're like, oh my god, like, clearly, like, there's ghost shit, spooky shit going on. But it's like, if you look at, if you were in their shoes in reality, and you saw that happen, I love how they all are just kind of like, they don't fully believe what they're seeing. They're just kind of like, no, 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 we, like, this can't be, this has to be a different door or something like yeah. that. Like, there ha we gotta be missing something. We must have came in, we must have got thrown off yeah. going somewhere else or something, right? And I mean, it's, like, we, uh, like we talked about before, like, I think this movie kind of, is in some ways derivative of um, previous found footage movies, but also kind of sort of builds on previous found footage movies and makes them their own. So, I mean, you know, an obvious uh, comparison here is the Blair Witch. So, you know, with the Blair Witch, obviously a big thing is they're lost. They're trying to make their way out of the woods, but they're walking in circles. 
that's what's ha- that what kind of what ends up happening here. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting because it's in an actual physical building, yeah. which is very strange. Which is like, supposed to have a set structure to it. <laughs> and like doors that lead out. But here they are just kind of meandering, walking around the building. But, but it's almost as if the building has a life of its own and is not allowing then these people here. to leave. So I guess the building is kind of creating new hallways and just obstructions not preventing them to leave. But anyway, it's just... It's great because it builds on found, you know, like, like I said, like earlier found footage conventions. And also just by having them lost in this building, it just kind of connects to primitive fears, I think, that we, that we have, you know, like of just getting lost. Yep. Just, just as simple as it is. And just the fear of the dark in general, like yeah. as silly as that sounds, like you say, it plays on like primitive like childhood fears almost type of thing, right? Yeah, exactly. And the thing I like about this movie too, in terms of just like going back to the aesthetic of just like the idea of found footage and stuff, and especially when this one was made, it's like, what I respect about this one is that like... It, they clearly had the intention where it's like, yeah, yeah, we're going to go in and we're going to follow the rules of found footage and this and that, but like, we're going to go out of our way to do what we can to show you the ghost with that, while still riding that line of it being found footage. Because yeah. once you like let the cat out of the bag and like show a special effect while you're filming in found footage, it's either going to go one way or the other. And like, it's really risky, right? Especially when you lose, you use a certain extent of like special effects and stuff. And yeah. I, I, I respect that they go for it in this. Like they really, once it's shit starts going down, like they really don't like pull their punches at all. Right. No, they don't. I think, you know, what ends up happening is they, they go on this walk. They, they realize they can't, they can't leave. At some point they check on the, the food that they have there and it's, you know, there, there's like maggots somehow of like kind of infested right, the right. food they all go lay down to sleep, but one of their lights kind of tips over and breaks, and uh, and then I think at, at a certain point they try to find Matt. I don't know what the I yeah. Guess well, that, that, of... that's the reason that they start wandering around. So I was trying to get yeah. out. Like their first mission was to find Matt, and like that's something we just didn't really you know, gloss over. It was just they went around looking for him. They couldn't find him. Bit of spook, bit of spooky shit happened, and they kind of that's when they got to the point where like let's just get the fuck out of here, get some help, and we'll come back. Yeah, and like so. On their quest to just continue getting out of here, they like unilaterally are like, "Well, let's look like keep an eye out for Matt," type of thing, too, right? Exactly, and I think you know from here, as you said, like it doesn't really let up. Things escalate really quickly, which I love around like the middle half of the movie. Uh, they go into a one of the hospital rooms and they see this metal bed frame that levitates into the into the air. And they just kind of take off, you know. Yeah. And, and there's just of... there's just no subtleties after this too. Like they just put the us and the <laughs> the actors in this state of just horrifying events one after the other. And, and kind of like what I was saying earlier, where it's like because of the setting and like where it's too. It's like even if they run into some side room, it's like they're always vulnerable. Like there's never any yes. safe space in this area or anything. Yeah, like they go exactly like at one point they like right after that, you know that that metal bed frame when that when it goes flying into the air they run off into a closet or something and they sleep there for a period of time and then when they wake up they realize sasha has hello or something written to her back so even when they're you know trying to you know hide in the closet obviously something has gotten in and, and scratched her but then my favorite part of the uh of the movie i think is pretty much right after they wake up from sleeping in the closet. They make their way down the hallway, and um, they see that person standing in the corner. 
that's good. That's like so woman. good. Yeah, and it's just again, it's like subtle use of special effects that work with yeah. the type of camera they're using. Like it doesn't look forced or anything. Like it looks genuine and it really works with the aesthetic. And it's just I don't know. I just yeah, I, I, I for some reason I, I just thought about like putting myself in the, in the shoes of that camera crew and just thinking like oh my god, can you imagine? Wandering around and just seeing some person in a hospital gown standing in the corner, like how fucking terrifying. And then the one, you know, drawback of that moment is that when that person in the gown turns around, the it is sort of a cheesy CGI effect in some ways. I think. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's okay because it's sparsely used a bit. Like they use it a bit as it goes on, and we see some of the more spook specters. But it's like I give stuff like that a pass because like I can only imagine the micro budget they had to work with here. Sure. And again, it's like I'll give them credit because they needed that to push the level that they wanted to go. It was clearly what their 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 goal was with this movie is they didn't want to just use simplicity like the Blair Witch. Yeah. Or even like paranormal activity where it's like, yeah, they use special effects in that as well. But it was all to a very, very simple usage like you never saw anything it was all somewhat left to the imagination even though things were happening to the stars yeah where it's like this one they're just they're trying to make like a monster movie almost with the with the actual like found footage aspect right so like i get that that's where i'm giving them credit where it's like it might not age well i don't really know and like i'm not really sure how i gotta be my watchers laugh at it i don't fucking know but again, like I'm with you. Like if you really do get invested in it enough, and you're enjoying the experience, and you got all the lights off and stuff, and you're watching it, like it's it's just enough to kind of keep you on edge, type of thing. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. And but uh, well, another moment though, I know exactly what you're saying. But there was one moment with the special effects that I did actually kind of laugh. I'm wondering if it's gonna be the one that I'm gonna say. Go well, on. there's two. Well, there's two that come to mind. Okay. One was with Houston. Yeah. Okay. Please, that's what I was that was the main one. So, okay. the worst thing so, so Houston, so I don't even remember exactly how, but Houston somehow, poor guy, is on his own. Yeah, because because of what John's saying is like I think they saw this girl, and then like it was just melee, so they all just ran. Okay, and I think a group of them, three of them, TC, uh, Sash, and Lance ran into like a, some room, and then like yeah, they they didn't mean to, but they left Houston. He ran somewhere else. So right. we come to find out that Houston is off on his own now, wandering around in the pitch black. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, I just want to say, just uh, as an aside, Scott, you do such a great job of uh, kind of clarifying the plot. If it wasn't for Scott, I just want to say, like, I would, we would be all very confused <laughs> about the like, plot details. Like, oh. Where am I right now? What, what, what am I yeah, I'd be about? piecing together different movies. I'd be confusing <laughs> this with another movie. No, you do, you do a great job of uh, keeping things very much on track. So there thanks, we go. Thank you so much for, for that throughout the podcast. Uh, but yeah, exactly. So uh, Houston is on his own. Now, there's... The, the thing that I find uh, a little cheesy about it, I'll mention in a second, but the thing I actually find kind of effective, I don't know if you <laughs> disagree or not, but Houston is walking in the hallway and he gets strangled. And I actually think that, it, I think it was effective. <laughs> I don't know if you agree. No, no, finish, finish. And he, uh, he's basically, he's levitated off the air. And it's, I find it actually a very disturbing moment. Because, like, for those that haven't seen it, it's sort of like a, uh, you're seeing, it's, it's sort of like a long shot, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's like, one of the cameras that was left there that Matt didn't get. So it was, yeah. like, it was like, so we're seeing from this camera that was just set there to record for yeah. the foreseeable future. So and, you're sort of seeing Houston in a distance, but you're but it doesn't kind of pan away or anything. So you're just watching him kind of get choked and he's struggling and he's kicking and everything. But something is clearly choking him and picking him off the ground. But the moment that what I found was, was cheesy was that... 
there's just this weird green flash that occurs. And then Houston just gets tossed down the hallway. And just he just lets out this like oh groan sound as he's tossed down the hallway. Yeah. I think does that kid is that what kills him? I guess that, that is that is it's so funny you mentioned that. It's like I was wondering if you were gonna bring it up. That is the worst movie, the worst movie, the worst point in the entire movie because like you're saying, it's a good scare right up until what happens. Like I, <laughs> the whole lead up of how he's lost, how he's like because clearly because he doesn't have a flash, it's scary mm-hmm. everything about it. So he's kind of like hugging the walls to find his way, and then like yeah. there's another little spook where it's like a door opens up like ten feet away from him. So like that's a little we don't know if something's gonna happen there, but like to John's point, like it leads to him getting like actually like picked up and like strangled by a ghost. They should have ended it there. Because what they did then is they drop him. And then all of a sudden he just gets like ghost blasted. He's like, pew! And he just like, and he's like, ah! And it's, it's so stupid and not scary at all. Like, it's like, I don't, like, they couldn't, if they just didn't do that, it would have been great. They do that a couple of times in the movie where they use almost like cheap visual effects to create like a, a change in them or to like develop the plot in some sort of a way yeah or so, to just say like look at what we can do it's like unnecessary yeah. special effects so like there's that where they try to like they have the green flash and i guess they want to they don't want to show him being tossed around the room uh across the hallway because maybe there was limitations from a technical standpoint where they they couldn't actually show houston being tossed so they'd rather just show him being strangled, green flash, and then he's just laying on the floor. Yeah. But then there's another moment at the very end of the movie where, I don't know if you remember this, it's Sasha and uh, the main character, the host, uh, Lance, are sitting down next to each oh, other in, hall- in that, yeah, in that the hallway. Then they're, so they're sitting next to each other, then there's all this like smoke yeah. that appears in the tunnel. And the smoke dissipates, and it just lands by himself. Yeah, he's like, "What?" So exactly. So it's just a bit like, again, just a bit of a bit of a cheap visual effect. And like, I know they're probably working with it with budgetary limitations. Yeah. But like, I think that it's almost like less is more. Yeah. Would have been, would well, have been that's, better here. That's why know? that scene with Houston, like you said, if they just showed him being strangled to death, and then it just dropped him, and then it just kind of lingered for like five, ten seconds, and like went to something, or or and you know what I mean, scarier. Left him in the air. No, you know what I mean, yeah. scarier. Is if they if he dropped, they let everything was quiet for five or ten seconds, and then a door opened and like dragged his body in or something like that would be. And scary. then the green flash. Then the green flash. <laughs> but it's just it was just so lame. I remember just looked at the wife and just be like, did he just get like ghost blasted? Like, did he just shoot him? Like, what just happened there? It was so I hated that. But anyway, it's so yeah, I was really wondering. Poor choice there. Poor choice there. But anyway, that's... but then it leads to another. There's another really good scare though, where it's like there was this kind of tale, like we were saying earlier about how the caretaker takes them through these spooky rooms and like this happened here, this happened here so it's like you know they're setting up future scares and specters and stuff that will happen and they go to this one room where there's like these for some reason just bathtubs everywhere in this room and uh but it's a really good like scare because they get chased in uh, from all these instances that are happening and all of a sudden he looks up over like the 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 whatever fucking wall he's hiding behind and the bathtub is filled with blood yeah and then like what's his name tc goes over yeah and when he gets dragged, it's such it's a really good like misdirect because he gets dragged in. There's a bit of a melee, but then when they knock the tub over, he's gone. Like that's such a cool idea. Like I thought that was yeah. a really good like way of getting rid of him type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just it, it plays with your imagination in that moment. It's like okay, he's gone, but like but where? You know what I mean? Exactly. So it's just, do you ima- is it like 
to hell? Is it in some weird dimension? Is it somewhere else in the hospital? But you never see him again. You don't yeah. know. It's unanswered. It's just and, a great. And, and to give moment. an idea too, what they play, they clearly they're playing on the trope too here of like because it's a abandoned mental institution or whatever like that. Is that like these ghosts' mission also as well is to just like almost drive these people insane? Like yeah. so we see mentally because another thing we didn't touch on is that like they're only supposed to be here overnight, <clears throat> but because time is like this different construct once they go into this whatever dimension. They've actually been there by the end of the movie for like three days. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so, point being is that it, like, they're getting broken down mentally as well as physically everything's happening. And like, we forgot to mention that they find Matt after. Mm. And he's in this like hospital gown. And like, <laughs> clearly he's been through some shit because he's like very unstable and again he's supposed to be clearly like a patient almost yeah, not really even communicated really. yeah he's... just like a glossed over look and you know they kind of drag him around for the nice portion of the movie but like that's clearly what it's playing on is like that whole instance of like you know once they get a hold of you they're you're kind of fucked like mentally you're just out to lunch type of thing after that yeah absolutely so um then from there uh we get i think there's like only three of them left is, is sasha tc's gone Sasha, that Mac guy that they found and him. Yeah. And this leads to another really good sequence where it's like they're trying to... What their goal is now is because they can't get to the roof, they can't get through any windows because they're all barred up. Their goal is that, like John was saying, there's like this tunnel system below the hospital that kind of goes and outside the hospital itself. So they're like, we just need to get down to the tunnels, which is like the creepiest area, the whole fucking thing, of course. Yeah. <laughs> like, we gotta get down there to get out. So they're at this elevator shaft prying it open to like climb down the ladder system to get down to the, to the bottom floor. And, like, this is a cool sequence where it's, like, Lance, like, leaves Sasha and Matt there. And, like, yeah. he runs to get a pipe or some shit to yeah. kind of pry it open. And that's a good scare, too, where he gets oh, the yeah. pipe and he, like, looks up in the top corner and the fucking thing is, like, up there hanging oh, out. Oh, fuck. It's good this, scare. like, I guess patient that, you know, I don't know, has, has uh, bitten off his tongue because he... Oh, was... right. That's what you see at the floor. Right. Because yes. what happens is, like, yeah, like, uh, Lance goes in the room he sees this tongue on the floor he sees blood dripping from above he looks up and this crazy patient is like looking down at him he's just a terrifying um creature and then just again melee he uh lance takes off um does he attack lance i'm trying to i think what it is is like he's we're going back and forth between like him and Sasha on her who has another camera, so we're bouncing back and forth between perspectives. And yeah, he runs to them, and like he gets to them in time to kind of pry the, the elevator door open. And then yeah. what he does, he gets the elevator door open, and him and Sasha, Lance and Sasha, are like trying to fight off the thing. Because it does attack them. Right? Yeah, but, but does does it kill? Doesn't kill anybody. No, does it, no, no. Because what it does is exactly like they have an instance where they're fighting off. They're trying to just like defend themselves. And then what it is is like a camera falls, and it's just on Matt by yes. the elevator door. Yeah. And that's the guy we're saying that they found and is, like, in this fucking weird mental state. And, like, then we see this other really creepy image where, like, he just walks over to the open elevator shaft and just, like, literally falls into it voluntarily, right? Yeah, so he just falls into his death. And that's, yeah, it's a really disturbing moment. And then Sasha discovers him and she is obviously very distraught. And there's, like, a whole sequence of them going down the elevator shaft, discovering Matt there dead at the bottom as... Yeah, it was a really, really dark moment. But from there... And there's another moment, though, before we... Uh, like, there, there's other just little moments. Yeah, um, we kind of, like, brushed past a lot of the spooky ghosts. Little spooky <laughs> moments, because I feel like, you know, like, you know, like, we don't necessarily need to do them in order. But uh, before we get down to the whole tunnel sequence thing, what did you think of the uh, the whole arms coming out of the wall thing? The black arms. 
Honestly, I um, I didn't mind it too much. It kind of comes back to the whole face thing, where it's like, uh, they do it in a certain way, and it's because of the choice of the kind of weird and quasi-night vision cameras and stuff like that. Like, it lets them get away with these effects. Yeah. And it's, again, it, you're really kind of pushing the board, you're, you're riding the line a bit when you, when you do this kind of shit in found footage, because, like, if you go too far with it, you're just going to kind of, like, it's going to go too fantastical, you're going to be, it's going to kind of be too much and too, too overwhelming. And like, I, I'm like that almost like with any haunted house, it doesn't even need to be found footage, like any kind of ghost thing. Like when you go too much with it, to the extreme, it's yeah. kind of like, it loses its like effect after a while. Yeah, for sure. But I didn't mind that stuff. I'm trying to picture like, the effects themselves were okay is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But yeah, like I wasn't so spooked out by it. I just like, I, what I liked about that and a lot of these other effects is that they were relentless like the, what yes. they did is they led to the pace of the movie just being like non-stop like they like literally like you're saying like there's a portion where they had to sleep because they're there for like three days and like i even felt like when they were sleeping and taking a rest it was like they were always woken up by something totally. and they were just completely on 10 even when they woke up yeah. Like, that's the effective aspect of all that, I thought. Yeah, I honestly feel like the effects are just kind of uneven. It's really mm. interesting. It, it almost it almost feels like there was uh, multiple people involved or something with the effects, it feels like. Because you have, like, the green flash moment with Houston. But then <laughs> that you, was, like, the last effect they had. They're like, oh, fuck, how much money do we got? <laughs> but, right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're 20 bucks to go. It's like, Shit, all right, just make a fucking green flash and have them fall. <laughs> But then you have, like, the guy with a missing tongue. Like, that was really effective. Like, that was great. That was great. The and end sequence we're going to get into, yeah. I think, production-wise, is great. I thought the arms thing, myself, was actually pretty convincing yep. and creepy. And that's like, what I mean. I it, looked, it looked good. Yeah, it's it just it's, it's not And it's not even the effects I would give anything about. It's just kind of, like, what's too much in this environment sure. is what I'm trying to kind yeah, of Yeah, I gotcha. Of. Like, have you ever seen the other... Another found footage movie called As Above, So Below, I think it's no, called? No. Where it's, like this crew of people go into the catacombs of Paris. Ooh, that sounds good. You, well, fuck, man. If you like this movie, you'll really like that. As so, above, so below. I'm as above, so below. So listeners out there, if you dig this movie and you dig found footage movies, a little random one too, that's very good. I, I, I personally really like that one. But it's the same kind of thing where it's like, it has a higher budget so they can get away with some of these effects and sure. some of these like grander things. But that's again like why you gotta kind of respect these little fucking like shoelace fucking budget movies where it's like you only got so much money to work with. So you're I'm curious. I'd love to see the behind the scenes where it's just kind of like, where does our money need to go? Yeah. But you know what though, <laughs> there's almost a certain charm to the fact that the movie is taking risks. Mm -hmm. Like you know, and I respect I'll, it. And even at the start of the movie, like we mentioned, like the movie does have a healthy sense of humor that's established yeah. at the beginning, and that helps. So, so it's almost like the you get the sense from the the beginning. Maybe this movie doesn't take itself too too seriously. Yeah. It sets up this weird line of like I wouldn't call it campy, but it's like you said, a bit of fun. Like you mm -hmm. know, you're gonna get into something. You're right. That's not the Blair Witch. Yeah. It has this self-awareness to it, it almost. Does. And I, it does. And, like, it, it helps to the experience of when you're supposed to be scared, is what I'm trying to say, right? It, exactly. So it almost makes even some of the, spe like, some of the issues that we might have with the movie almost more uh, forgivable or something. Yeah. Because you're, I don't know, you're, um, you see the movie for what it is and the fact that it's self-aware of itself and has a comedic sensibility, yeah. right? And like you said, like, the, the irony of... All these found footage movies, well, it's, I'm wondering if the one I just mentioned kind of, like, takes a bit of risks because of this movie. Like, I, I, it's, I'm, I'm even kind of like John, which is weird, which is, like, 
I don't really know the impact this had when it came out physically. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I came across it so much later as, like, a weird side recommendation or I stumbled upon it or something. Yeah. So, like, I don't know the influence this actually had on people even four or five years out. Whereas, like, that one I'm mentioning is, like, a few years after this. So, and I feel like it kind of borrows from this movie. But I might be wrong. I don't I don't know. I, I, so, yeah, check that out. You'd like that movie. Yeah, I'm going to check it out for sure. Uh, but in any case, eventually, uh, we'll just kind of get towards the end of the movie. It's a, it's a great sequence at the end where, uh, Sasha and Lance, uh, make their way down in this, like, tunnel system, and... This is, like, my nightmare. Like, this, oh, this my like, God. This, this is legit, like, this, if you want to put me in my version of hell, an endless, <laughs> terrifying tunnel like this, where it's, like, you can't see what's in front of you or behind you, and you oh, hear man. noises in both directions, yeah. right? So they're just meandering down this 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 tunnel, and uh, you know, again, the whole thing with the hospital is they can't make their way out. Yeah. You know, there's like, supposed to be an end at some point, but they're walking clear. Like I think at one point he said to, uh, to the camera, or whatever, he's like, "We've literally woke up. We've been walking all day down this tunnel, and we can't. Yeah. We haven't come across anything." And then uh, they have this moment where they are sleeping just you know sat up against the wall in the tunnel and then we have that moment that i mentioned earlier where steam or smoke just seems to kind of come from somewhere and uh you know it kind of covers everything so you can't see what's going on but and then when the smoke dissipates sash is gone and then we're left with lance and he's just a, a very broken character and, there, and there's and honestly i feel like this uh, end sequence with uh, with Lance when he's just kind of like wandering through the tunnels. Yeah. Even that has some like dark comic moments. I feel like well, in some ways, right? Thing. The rat thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. basically, Lance at this point is like, he's just you know, he's just a shell of a human shell being. of a human being. He's you know mentally unstable because of all the th- shit he's seen and he's lost and he's starving. And um, there's just this moment where he's so funny. He's, he has his metal pipe. And uh, he's just, um, I guess, starving. And he see, you see this rat just crawling across the floor. And he just so pathetically just, like, smacks at it several times, picks it up, and then, you know, disgustingly just starts to eat it raw. Right? Another, another, another terrible effect, too, because, like, the way <laughs> you can clearly see that that rat was, like, CGI'd in. So, like, when he does the first hit, the whole rat just goes flat. Mm. And then he just keeps hitting this... Like like Flat fi- thing. fake rat or whatever, then he just like he just starts fucking gnawing on the fucker. Yeah, but it's, it is definitely a good gross moment. Though. Like they, like there's several shots of him just like biting into it and then just yeah devouring. Just and, and he's kind of he's kind of at the point too where he's like he's he's still like. I don't know what the battery life in these cameras are, but he's still, like, recording it and still, like... (laughs) He's kind of at the point where he's, like... He's just saying nonsense at this rate. Like, is he even, like, making any sense anymore? I can't even fucking remember. He's, like, trying to narrate what's happening, but nothing... Like, it's just nonsense, I think. Yeah, he's kind of gotten to this point, I think, of... um... It's just, you know, he, he's not even, he's beyond being afraid at this point. Yeah, He's just yeah. kind of manic and... And it's, that, that sounds know. silly, but, like, I can actually understand, like, what they're going for with that. It's like, when you're, especially when you're alone in these situations and, like, let's say, fuck, I don't know, like, even in, like, the Blair Witch or something. Let's say you're lost in the woods for, like, five days and you're on your own. Like, you're so scared, you're so exhausted at that point. Like, you're literally so exhausted that, like, you can't even physically be scared anymore. That you just, like, want it to just be over. Like, and I mean, that I'm sure 100% that's how people have just, they're so exhausted from being scared that they just can't do it anymore. They're like, just end this, right? Sure. I mean, like, it makes, I mean, like, I'm no doctor, 
but uh, I you're mean, not a doctor. A, I'm not a doctor. Oh. And, no, 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 absolutely not. not. This whole time. Yeah, you're no, right. I know. Yeah, you, as you, as I'm sure most of you thought, uh, based on my uh, brilliance, I must be a doctor <laughs> of some kind. But I'm not. Um, but no, I mean, like, you, I mean, you think about it, like, I can only assume that uh, at a certain point your body probably stops producing adrenaline and, you know, the various hormones responsible for yeah. experiencing fear. So if you're just that exhausted and your system is just so um, kind of just, um, you know, on, on edge for a long period of time, that, yeah, like, you probably do kind of come down off the field yeah. to a degree of an and imagine, honestly right? like and with a lack of sleep too physically like i can attest i've been in situations where i've had to be like awake for over 24 hours like you do get into this state of like, like almost like a high sure where it's like you don't like feel it's hard to explain like physically and mentally mainly like you just start to kind of like get a little buggy and like i think yeah. that's what they really do well here is because i was trying to say earlier, like, even the instance they try to sleep, like, the ghost goes out of their way to wake them up and, like, keep them on edge and, like, yeah. never allow them to rest and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but so from there, I mean, uh, I don't know if we mentioned this uh, earlier or not, but I think um, the whole thing with, um, in the hospital was that um, there were, like, you know, medical procedures that happened within the hospitals in which, you know, lobotomies took right. place and, uh, you know, a lot of the, um, the ghosts of patients from the past, you know, are patients that may have had lobotomies or different procedures performed on them. So, um... Fuck, I never even thought about the hell you just said that. This really borrows... Have you ever seen the movie Session 9? No. From, like, the early, mid-2000s? No. That's another... It's not a found footage one, but I never thought of it until you just said it. Like, that, this movie clearly borrows from that. It's about that same kind of idea where it's like... I think it's like a construction crew working on a mental institution, and it comes full circle, like you're saying, where it's like they perform lobotomies like they did, like, through the eye, like, we're mm-hmm. going to see in a second. But they, they do... They plan... They must, they definitely borrowed from that for this movie. I never thought about that. Um, Lance makes his... Somehow, Lance discovers a door in this hallway, and he makes his way into it, and then in there is a genuinely creepy kind of, um, I guess, uh, you know, like, surgery, what do you call it? Operating operating room. Yeah, and it's almost like a weird, like, it's operating room, but it's almost like you said, like a weird laboratory, almost, where, like, he, he goes into some of these rooms, and there's, like, chains and, like, hooks, and it's, like, it's clearly, like, stuff people have been using to work on the patients in the bowels of the fucking hospital and stuff is kind of like what it's like and right? there's photos like really effective creepy photos of like past procedures people with like parts of their skull missing and there's shots of like the brain and yeah. it's all has like a black and white kind of a vibe to it and stuff and then a great moment he looks over and he sees um this these people operating on someone and then they kind of all kind of look up all the I like doctors that. look up at the same time and look at lance i like that that's cool that's cool it, effect all right like something it where it's like whenever i have a weird weird like for the aesthetic of like a, a creepy instances where especially ghost stuff where it's like everyone's in unison yeah. I, I, I like that effect there's something really uncomfortable about it even in, in the fact that, <clears throat> that they all look at someone i'll take yeah. notice in yep. that kind of a way like that's there's something about that it's just like it's like you're spotted exactly right? exactly yeah. and then it's just a final jump scare i think isn't it isn't the fucking doctor just there's basically it? two things that happen now from the end of the movie like the, like the main doctor comes over he, he approaches lance and then he screams or some shit and spooky face and spooky face and then after that we just get this final shot of 
arguably kind of a cheesy in shot of Lance. With of, the lobotomy is what it is. With the lobotomy, he's had the procedure done, and he's kind of looking right into the camera, and he um, kind of says, oh, I've, I've had the procedure. It doesn't even say I've had the procedure. I think he says, like, I'm... I'm, they say I'm good now. They say I can leave now. And right, right. And he's like, Grave Encounter signing out or some shit like and that. Then it, and and movie. <clears throat> so, you know, so I, I guess he's stuck in the hospital or some shit. But, uh, yeah, you know, so that, that's basically the movie. I mean, uh, I guess we can get into the grand themes now of uh, <laughs> Grave Encounter. Well, I mean, the, the big thing I thought that I, I really dug, again, like, a lot of his tongue-in-cheek and um, they're they're self aware clearly of what they're doing, and like you said, they ride that cool line where it's like they're they're trying to like be realistic, but at the same time have fun with it. Yeah. And like you say, creep this weird sense of like camp, which I really like. Yeah. But I mean, like the the one major theme I loved throughout the whole thing was the clear nature of just saying how much how it's almost like a play on reality TV in general, and just saying how much bullshit and fake reality TV is than just yeah. anything else you're gonna see on TV, and that's clearly totally. like the notion they're trying to play with, and then like. The irony of these fucking people, where the whole purpose is, is to go out and find ghosts, and then when they find ghosts, they get shocked. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like that, exactly. That's that's the humor I get in all of it, right? Yeah, exactly, hundred percent. Yeah, so I guess we can just give our final thoughts on uh, on the movie. Um, you want to start this time? Yeah, I'll give it a go this time. Um, I liked it. Um, I gotta say, like this is my I think only my second time watching it. Um, it, it, I'm weird with like found footage ones. Like I don't really like frequently revisit them. I mean, it's only like the bangers I kind of go back and really kind of give it a mm. go. Because like w- the way it is with found footage, more than even like any kind of haunting movies and stuff like that. It's, like once you've experienced them once over, it's hard to even close get to the same effect when you watch them again because of just the whole point and purpose of how they sure. play it out. Yeah. Exactly. So like the greats are the ones you can really revisit mm. and appreciate and like see the nuances again because it's just the way you inter. It's the way you absorb the. The, the art form, right? It just kind of is what it is. Like, once yeah. the cat's out of the bag, it's kind of hard to rewatch sometimes. Yep. That's why some people have a difficulty rewatching Blair Witch. They're just kind of like, I know what happens. A bunch of people wander around in the woods. I don't want to rewatch that, right? Yeah. But I, but I appreciate the filmmaking for what it is. Exactly. And if anything, I'm shocked when I revisit movies like that to how well they age, right? Yeah. So this one's like, yeah, like this one is actually probably not a bad one to revisit. It is a bit of fun. Like, it doesn't, it, it, it's, 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 it's a very bleak ending. It's a very bleak second half of the fucking yeah. movie. There's no, there's no real, like, you know, shining light or anything like that that makes you feel better. But, like, it, it is quite the roller coaster ride. And I, I gotta say, like, if anyone's a fan of the genre, like, and uh, want to find a little gym, like, I, I'd highly recommend this one. So I'll give it a... You know, I'll give it a solid 7 out of 10. I think it's good. It's got a nice amount of spooks in it. Um, there's definitely, like, it has its issues here and there. But, I mean, like, yeah. it's kind of par for the course. Like, you know what you're getting into. And I feel like of any, without a doubt, of any subgenre out there in horror, like, the found footage genre is the one you give the most leeway for these little kind of nuances sure. and stuff. I'll, I'll allow it because... You know, a lot of these people at the end of the day are working on a shoestring budget. Yeah. You can feel the passion in a lot of these movies. Exactly. And yeah, so like I find this is a perfect middle ground one where like there has its issues, but it, it really does have a good fucking few scares. And actually, I think the acting is pretty good in it, which is yeah. usually a big problem in these movies, honestly, for me. So I'll give it, yeah, I'll give it props. A nice solid 7 out of 10, and I enjoyed revisiting it for a laugh. Yeah, that is a really, really good uh, summary there, Scott. Honestly, like, like they captured a lot of my my thoughts there for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I am some. I don't know, you know, why, but I'm just somebody that really appreciates a movie that doesn't take itself too too seriously, uh, especially in this genre, because uh, I think that, you know, 
maybe the horror genre that is maybe a tendency for some films to take themselves very very seriously you know to, to be very self-aware of its scares and it's you know and, and the fact that it's trying to scare you but this movie from the outset you know knows it's on a shoestring budget knows that it's um you know dealing with maybe some some even arguably like silly subject matter and visuals that you're going to see but right from the outset it has the sense of humor which makes it like a very digestible and likable film from the outset um like i mentioned earlier i mean this movie just from a pure setting standpoint uh really kind of grabs you from the beginning uh something about hospitals their layout their architecture which are just inherently scary especially when you think about like the the history that comes with hospitals and especially the history of say like a, a hospital that dealt with like psychiatric patients it's all just very sad dark kind of context and history and uh, the movie taps into you know the, the 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 kind of history that comes with with hospitals quite well um you know the movie has i thought has great pacing i mean it's only an hour and a half long uh but really the, the first 40 minutes not a lot happens in terms of scares it kind of very you know very kind of uh, methodically and progressively kind of builds the scares up until you get it maybe halfway or three quarters of the way through the movie and then it's just at a fever pitch and then it's just constantly there's you know different scares that are occurring so i really like that i really like that kind of sort of rapid kind of almost exponential kind of quality to the way in which the um the scares build um as scott mentioned uh, you know the uh the performances are actually you know done quite well uh, i found found the effects a little bit hit or miss but uh you know overall i mean this movie is um is is just a lot of fun i think it like as mentioned i think it builds on the the found footage genre i think it offers something new uh, while at the same time kind of paying homage and builds connections to some of the ones that came before it, like a la Blair Witch. And, uh, yeah, like I, I, I think that um, this was a great movie to discuss in relation to Mother, because you have Mother, which is obviously dense, very heady, a lot to talk about from a thematic standpoint, but it's always nice to talk about movies that, you know, aren't necessarily particularly um heady or have any kind of great themes but yeah. are just I'm trying to make some grand point yeah. or something or right? just great enjoyable good old-fashioned kind of horror movies in this case like a found footage film so um you know i'm uh, i'm a fan of this one uh and it was fun to chat about it again so i'll give this one a seven and a half out of ten and uh yeah glad we talked about it all right so i guess just to close things out as uh the usual routine we spin the wheel of horror here now but uh as mentioned at the top of the episode um we are planning on going on a, a hiatus here now after the end of season one so next episode 26 is going to be our little season finale so what we've decided to do is put away the wheel of horror for the spooky season here now and let me and john have free reign and decide whatever the fuck we want to watch because i mean you know it is the season and uh, we want to give something Good for you folks to go out on a bang here. So, um, John, what have you decided uh, we will watch next episode for your host pick? So, I um, really uh, wrestled with picking this last film, as you know, Scott. There's a lot of um, movies that I thought I was going to pick, and I went back and forth between a, a bunch of different ones. 
kind of the conflict that I had was picking something that was very significant and, you know, a um, monumental horror movie versus something which was more significant to me. But what I ended up choosing was something that had more personal significance. And the movie that I picked is also one that I think is kind of a lot of fun, is very surreal. And I think that, you know, when I think of Halloween and the Halloween season, you know, being kind of fun and surreal and, um, you know, just picking something that is maybe a little bit um, out of the ordinary is more in keeping with the, uh, the spirit of the season. On top of that, it does have a director whose work we haven't uh, discussed yet at all, and I think is somebody that uh, has contributed uh, some significant work over the past couple decades. So I think this will be a good opportunity to talk about his work. Anyway, the movie I'm picking is House of a Thousand Corpses, uh, yeah. directed by Rob Zombie. Uh, this is a movie that I saw for the first time when I was, uh, I believe, in junior high, and have watched it a couple of times since, and uh, still uh, kind of rattles me when I watch it. And uh, yeah, so that's 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 my pick. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I guess you mentioned that to me previously, and I gotta be honest, I have not seen that fucking movie in so many years, so I'm I'm pumped to revisit it. And it's just like you said, like another kind of weird, like something, because it, it's a good choice because I'm kind of the same ilk where it's like I'm trying to think of like, oh, what's something great and grand we can kind of discuss. But at the same time, it's like when it comes to Halloween season, like you're kind of it is a different vibe to like what it is. Like yeah. I, it sounds strange, but it's like. My Halloween movies are a little different from... I mean, I watch horror movies all year round. So, like, when it comes to the Halloween season, there's a certain kind of specific feel and vibe yes. the kind of movies you want to do and discuss. And I think that fits the mold perfectly. And the yeah. idea that, like, you're right, we haven't done anything or in any way had a reason to reference Rob Zombie. So I think it'll be interesting enough to just chat about him and what he's done for the genre as a whole, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, to, to piggyback up John... I was kind of in the same mind frame. I was bopping around a few different ideas, ones that were like some big, like, you know, tentpole movies we probably haven't discussed yet, even though we've, we've kind of gone through a lot of the major ones over the last year or so. But at the same time, I wanted to ride the line and be like, what's something fun? What's something really good, high energy, interesting, like, you know, pays homage at the same time? And, you know, kind of can you pick the meat off of like a number of different things we were trying to say? So I've gone with Cabin in the Woods. I think it's the perfect blend of everything horror. I think it literally is one of those movies that exists where it has every single specific kind of horror almost in existence in the one movie. Yeah. I think it is the ultimate homage to horror, period, no matter what the subgenre is. And I, I can't picture a better way from the experiment we're doing here now with the wheel itself and like what it is and to what that movie represents for horror as a whole. Mm. And yeah, I just enjoy the shit out of it. And I don't, I mean, you know, I just love any excuse to kind of talk about that movie. So that'll be my pick. I'm going to pick cabin in the woods and I can't fucking wait to talk about it. So yeah, folks, that's it. I know it's a little different this time around, but we figured we want to give you guys the heads up and just keep be ready for it and mindful. And, uh, we promise that um, the last episode we do for this season is going to be a uh, good laugh. I think we're going to take our time with it. We'll probably drag it out a bit, probably have a few drinks while we're doing mm -hmm. it, and see where the kind of conversation goes. Things are going to get crazy, folks. Things are going to get wild, man, so watch out. All right. So on that note, I suppose that's going to wrap us up for this evening, folks. So you can follow us on the Spooky Newfies Instagram page, uh, where we'll be posting, I, I don't know, guess how regularly anymore at this rate. Yeah, we're probably going to stop <laughs> posting pretty soon is the reality. <laughs> well, hey, you know, keep, keep an eye on the page either way. It is it exists. And we still, at this rate, would appreciate a nice little five-star rating review on the Apple. <laughs> 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 it's all
Don't stop the ratings. Don't stop the ratings. Um, but yeah, either way, uh, I guess we'll see you guys next episode in two weeks' time, where we will be discussing uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, picked by John, and Cabin in the Woods, picked by myself. So, in the meantime, folks, for the Halloween season, keep it spooky. Thanks, guys.